0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer
1: the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics.
3: And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track, over his head. And over
4: the wall.
5: Do you believe
3: that?
2: And 29 other MLB clubs.
5: Ramirez with a drive to deep right away, back,
3: gone! go hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judging blast. All rise, here comes the Judge.
2: Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from humidors to spin rates, to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on Ace Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend.
6: Uh, Sunday was magic. And I know it's been a couple days. We've got a a little chance to breathe. We want to play you some of the interviews that I did this past Sunday on the field. If you were a season ticket holder and you were at the event, God bless you. It was it was awesome. Where there were 16 from Art Howe to the players, trainers, coaches. We had 16 guys there for the Q&A with the 2002 team. That was magical. And it really shows how much those players met to our fan base. Not saying that the players from the 70s didn't, but a lot of the people who come to our games on a regular basis, you didn't watch those teams. You weren't born yet. Or if you're like me, I was born in 72. I didn't watch those teams. I know about their greatness. I respect their greatness. But I didn't see it, so I don't don't have that connection. Now, Having this job, I've made connections with Vida Blue and Joe Rudy and these guys. And, of course, my great great friendship, and we'll always miss him and love him, Ray Fossey. And then if we really get into a time where we're going to start honoring, I don't know if that's going to happen, 88, 89, 90 teams. Okay, now I'm in high school. Now I have way more of a connection because – like when I'm here at NBC and I host the show with Dave Stewart, it's like I'm still like a little kid, right? I'm still like in high school, and even though that you know I've been in this business for over 30 years, I'm still looking over, going, "That's Dave Stewart. He's Dave Stewart. He was a star. Dave Stewart was a star baseball player when I was in high school. My my formative years where you love baseball and you love it more than anything else because it's what you strive to be." I'm in awe when I see Dennis Eckersley. He's one of the great pitchers of all time. You know? Really, it was an honor for me when I got asked. It was, like, funny because they called me years ago when that documentary about Jose Canseco came out, and it was at the Concord movie theaters that they wanted me to host it with the documentary, the the director, the producer, and with Jose Canseco. And they are like, would you do it? Because they thought, you know— There's this taboo thing about Jose and steroids in baseball. I was like, you kidding me? I'm all in. I'll host that and sit next to Jose Canseco all day long. He was one of my favorite players, Jose Canseco. And then it was like, well, how much would you charge? And I would say, I'll do it for free. I'll show up. But, no, of course, I wouldn't do that. I'm not stupid. But, yeah, I sat next to Jose Canseco and got to rap with Jose for like two hours. It means something. Well, now you start to understand my whole point is what O2 means to so many people just 20 years ago. Was a long time ago, but wasn't a long time ago. And what these players mean to our franchise, mean to the community. You know, Bud Seelig at, you know, a certain point, I don't know the exact date, the exact year, But what do we call it, retraction? What were they talking about? They were talking about, you know, hey, we're looking at teams that are not doing well. We're looking at teams that are not drawing. And two of the teams that came up were and can't get new ballparks was Oakland and Minnesota. Tampa wasn't on that list because Tampa – what was Tampa's first year?
4: Was it in 99? So Let me double check. In
6: early 2000s, they're not going to talk about getting rid of a team they've just created. But what was the year that Bud Seelig was actually talking about, hey, maybe we need to go to 28 teams? Uh, 1998
4: was the Rays when the race Yes, yeah, so you're
6: not going to talk about yeah. getting rid of the Rays in the early 2000s when you no, just created them.
4: According to Wikipedia, on uh, November 6, 2000, 2001, the owners of 30 MLB teams in Major League Baseball voted 28-2 to 2 to eliminate two teams for the 2002 season. So 2001. But it said it was going to be the Twins and the Expos. Events, but yeah, but it's back in the early 2000s. Yeah, 2000s. I remember
6: the they, they were talking about the A's. So, really, these guys started winning, you know, led by Giambi and crew, got Oakland back on the map. And this 02 team took you through a wild ride that I compare them to the We Believe team of the Golden State Warriors, which was 06. -6, 7 I think was the the year it was. That that We Believe team. Baron Davis, the whole thing. Don Nelson, what a ride that was. They made the trade with the the Pacers. Uh, The rest is history. They knock off the Dallas Mavericks in the first round. Everybody loved the We Believe Warriors in that run. Then they'd lose to what, Utah? Yeah, Utah. So... I remember doing Warriors pre and post on 95-7 when we were honoring the uh, We Believe Warriors. And I, I threw out this topic and I said, has there ever been a greater team in Bay Area history who didn't win a championship? And, of course, there's teams, right? I mean, you've had teams go to Super Bowls, go to World Series, and not win. But they got to that championship, and I go, I know. A's have been to World Series and haven't won. Giants have been to World Series and haven't won. Warriors have been to NBA Finals and haven't won. Sharks and Stanley Cup. Sharks, Raiders, um, Niners. Everybody's been to championships and haven't won. But yet, we believe only won one round. That's all they won. They won one round, but it was so magical and their run to the end that people love that team. I mean, Steph and Clay have changed everything and becoming a dynasty and an NBA all-time great team, and it's been unbelievable to watch. We're all Warriors fans, but there's still there's that special something in our hearts for that we believe Warrior teams that they, those uniforms, right? The mascot Thunder. The uniforms that they bring out, they just they spark that emotion. Baron Davis over Karolinko, and the I mean, you just there's things about that season that you remember, you know, taking down Dirk Nowitzki and and the and the Mavericks in the first round. So, to me, that's kind of like what this O2A's team is. This, O's to, this O2 this O2A's team sparks that kind of emotion because they just weren't a good team that won. I uh, was it 103 games. I think so. it's 103. Uh, they're just not a team that won the division. They're just not a team that won 103 games. Yeah, they, 103. And they have the magical 20-game win streak. And then after that, not only do you have the win streak, this book out of nowhere, we had no idea. Michael Lewis is writing. Who knew? No one knew in 2002 some writer is falling this thing around. No one knew that this guy was going to write a book. That was going to be a bestseller. That to this day, in business schools around the world, they still bring up this book. the The Warden School is a Warden. Wharton School. Of,
4: Wharton? Wharton, School
6: Wharton School of Business has a class called Moneyball. They teach it in Stanford Business. Dave Cavill's talked to us about it. He helps out. Is it Cavill helps out at Stanford? I think it is. With Stanford. This. Yeah. So you have the book, and everybody in business. Was reading this book. Every team in the Bay Area, even the Giants, was forcing, not just telling their employees, forcing their employees to read it. I remember the 49ers were the first one I ever heard. 49ers told everybody in their organization, read this book. You got somewhere to go? Your alarm's going on?
4: No, that's my, uh, my reminder to clock back in for my mandated 30-minute lunch.
6: Okay, so everybody in business then started reading the book. And then we heard there's going to be a movie, there's going to be a movie. Kevin, oh, there's a different director. Different, and then all of a sudden, finally, the you know we watched, a lot of us, we watched the movie be made, had no clue. And then next you know, Brad Pitt's playing Billy Bean, and the rest is history. There is something special about this O2 team, and I don't think I'm wrong on this. They are the most famous baseball team to have never won anything. Think about that. Forever Moneyball will live. Forever it will be about this 0-2 team. What did they win? They won the division. They have one of the longest streaks of all time, but technically they didn't really win anything other than a division. But everybody knows about them. It's a star-studded team. Great players, no doubt. But... It's a famous ball club. A book, a best-selling book, and a book, and a movie that was up for an Oscar starring Brad Pitt, one of the biggest movie stars of all time. It was about your A's in 2002. And we celebrated that. And I was fortunate to do the season ticket holder Q&A and then after do a bunch of interview- interviews with guys. We're not going to play them all, but there's some we want to get into because one guy I've been trying to get forever is David Justice. David Justice spent his entire professional career in the postseason and in the World Series. It's amazing. He, had, he truly had one of the blessed careers in the history of baseball, a two-time World Series champion, but whether he was a brave a Yankee, an Indian, an A, he was always in the postseason. It's unreal. And Justice came here and immediately became the leader. You know, what are the A's going to do? Jason Giambi's gone. Well, Miguel Tejada became the best player in the American League and Dave Justice became your leader. Didn't miss a beat. Won 103 games. And a lot of people forget – Earlier in that season, they went through a stretch because back in there, back in those times, there was something about the A's getting out to a slow start. The A's in 2 got out to a decent start and then whew, fell off the cliff, and they were terrible. But then later on, they would have a run. Before the 20-game win streak, I think it was in June, they went 16-1. So you're starting to see with this pitching that they can feed off of each other, and they can roll off 15 out of 16, and then later on, twenty in a row, they had that kind of firepower and they had that kind of pitching. So we'll get into Dave Justice once again. I've already lost track. What time are we having? Uh, Franny, Franny? supposed to
4: come on at one thirty, so about thirteen minutes from now.
6: So we're going to twelve wanna, minutes now. So we'll probably want to do that at what? One, I, I want to do. I want to do Justice, and I want to do Art Howe, because neither guy we get to hear a lot from. And I'm going to tell you how magical this event was. For Art, this was finally Art Howe getting his due as a great manager for the A's. It's very emotional. He chokes up during our interview. Art Howe and I are on the field, and I'm interviewing him. He chokes up. I. It was emotional for me. In 02, I was doing the morning show on KMBR. I wasn't in this role, but I covered it. A lot of nights I had to go to bed early, obviously, when you're doing a morning show and you, you need to come on that early. But I know what a special man Art Howe is. And Art 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 and I have done interviews, but it's always been over phone. So Art's, Art had no – he knew my name, but doesn't know who I – and then, you know, two and two, oh, yeah, you're the guy. And we're doing this interview, and he starts choking up, and I'm like, wow, I got emotional. So I got to play that for you and David Justice. But one thing that I do want to talk about today that is not A's related is what's going to happen next year, what happened last night, kind of gives you an idea of why what's going to happen next year needs to happen. And I'll go over the whole draft thing about um, I got it in the notes today. If you don't know, last place in baseball, you don't get the first pick in the draft anymore. It's a draft lottery, so the Nats, the A's, and the Pirates will all have 16.5% chance at the first pick. Uh, Tigers will be 13.25. Reds will have 10%. Royals will have 7.5. So uh, tank for the first pick doesn't guarantee anything anymore. Hopefully, 16.5%, the A's will get the first pick. Love to have the first pick. That'd be great, but there's no guarantee in that. So these are the two worst teams going after it. Not a whole lot to sell here. We'll do that in A's Total Access brought to you by Chevron coming up. But when you put the best players against each other, magic happens. Does it always? No, because when the Angels went to Yankee Stadium earlier this year, That was in their run of losing, was it 14 straight in the end? How many did they end? I think it was
4: 14 was their final in the losing streak.
6: That was part of New York. So when you had, oh, Trout, Otani, they're going to New York, they both didn't do anything. But this is what's good about our sport when you have the top players play each other. When you had those games, even in the regular season, when it was Tom Brady against Peyton Manning, It's Steph Curry, LeBron James. Is that when you have those matchups, it's better for the sport. And that is exactly what we got last night in Anaheim. Now, they would normally play anyway. They're two American League teams. But let's just say Aaron Judge plays for the Mets. Shohei Otani plays for the Angels. And that could be a possibility, by the way. You know, I know there's a lot of people here at NBC Bay Area in these studios here where I'm at who are there. Let me tell you, there's a bunch of giant honks in here. It's unbelievable. And I let them all know, hey, didn't the Giants win 107 games last year? Isn't this maybe the largest collapse in the history of baseball? And they just look at me like, ah, it's the A's guy again. Oh, I'm not letting them forget. Mark my words, A's fans. I am not letting them forget that they won 107 games last year, and right now they're what 61 and 64. You, Larry Bear may own the San Francisco Bay Area media, but he doesn't own us, and we're going to keep reminding you this is literally the worst drop off from year to year in the history of baseball.
4: Right now, it's 46 wins off. (laughs) That's a lot. It's what? There if you add do the math 107 minus 61 that's 46 wins. So I'm trying to think I, I There's only 46 games left. Marlins
6: so it, won the World Series 97 as a wild card team and then Wayne Heizinga sold everybody off. I have no idea how I many I'm not up on my 1998 Marlins.
4: The 98 Marlins went 54 and 108. The year prior when they won the World Series they were 92 and 72. See? 92 and 7.
6: That's not as much. They won 107. It's a pretty big
4: drop-off. Yeah, 92 minus, what was it, 54? Yeah, you're still looking at Let me do my quick – I have the calculator open, so 92 minus 52, 38 wins. 38 win difference? Yeah. They lost 38 wins from the year prior. So, 46 is still higher. Well, if the Giants don't make 80 wins. I don't think they're going to get there. I mean, there's – how many games left? 30, a little over a couple – the way eight, 33, so they're probably
6: – I mean, my San Jose State math says that's 27 wins, right? If they get to 80. It's a 27-win difference.
4: Uh, 27 wins would get them to yeah, – be, that'd be one, – 107, that'd be eighty 88, That'd be 88 wins if they get to 27 more wins. You're saying if they got 27 more I'm wins right now. I'm saying the
6: difference – like if they won 80 games, they won 107. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. It'd be 27. It's a 27-game yeah. difference. Well, if they don't get to that, we're now looking in the 30s. Yeah. Uh, That's a huge – and they're not tanking. Giants aren't tanking. By the way, the lights I for everybody the lights went out the Giants game. A's, Coliseum, Dave Rennetti took a lot of heat. Mike Fires would then go on to throw no hitter. It was an amazing night. Not a lot of you were there. I know, because I was there, and I know how many people were there. But The C, it happens to you too. have your moment on Twitter. Go ahead, be a troll. I'm a troll all the time. Not on Twitter. I'm a troll on this show. But (laughs) we have no leg to stand on. Light tower goes out on a beautiful stadium. The light tower will pop back on. still a beautiful stadium. Our light tower pops on. We still have a ballpark built in 1966. I hear you, though. You want to crush them? Go ahead. I'm not telling you not to. I just, it doesn't make us look any better. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, and no, they're not, they're not going to, they're not going to go, ah, see, it can happen in San Francisco. They're not. They're not. The San Francisco media is not going to crush the Giants. They're not going to crush Oracle Park. They're not going to do it. Don't expect them to do it. And, and, Kind of why I'm saying this is they'll find a way to still make us look bad. Oh, here they are popping off about the light. Eh, they're still going to find a way to make us look bad. Just that's the way it is. But I can still highlight, and especially when I'm sitting in a studio that technically is owned by 32% of the Giants or whatever their percentage of owning NBC here in the Bay Area, I can still say, you hacks – Are having a horrible year. It's a historic bad year, and I can keep reminding you. But back to my point. Pretty cool to see Shohei Otani. Pretty cool to see Aaron Judge. It's great for the game. It's a Monday night in Anaheim. Who should really care? Nobody. Everything going on in life, nobody cares. But last night there was juice sizzle on the steak. I mean, let's face it. Everybody in sports was talking about it. Everybody, I mean, they were jam-packed. They had 44-plus thousand people there. The game was covered on – I was watching. It was a showcase game on MLB yeah, Network. I was watching on MLB Network. Frankie Montas is a New York Yankee.
4: I mean, that's not good. Uh, Frankie is 0-2 with a 7-0-1 ERA and five stars.
6: Already – With Ken Waldachuk going to be called up with the September call-ups, Ken Waldachuk out of St. Mary's, part of the trade, already what we've seen with J.P. Sears. The A's have won this trade. Like, already. Once again, we should give Frankie a long-term contract. You want to give Frankie a long-term contract? I mean, Frankie at times, but Frankie hasn't been the dominant guy since he got popped for PEDs. Yeah, I said it. He's not ours anymore. I can totally say it now. Frankie hasn't been that same dominant guy since he tested positive. And now you got two young left-handed pitchers. J.P. Sears is a keeper, right or wrong? Correct. Keeper. Keeper. Walter Chuck comes in. If he's a keeper, oh, my God, this trade's a no-brainer. And what's the other kid, Medina? Medina, he throws 100. If he works out, this is a no-brainer. And then don't forget the middle infielder, it's 20. This is 100. This is – I totally forgot about that guy. <laughs> Who is that, that Co- guy's Cooper name? Cooper
4: Bowman, I think his name was. Is that his name? Let me make sure I
6: – Not expecting anything, but if it works out, whatever. Think about that. This is already better than the Sonny Gray trade. Way better, JP Sears I, I mean, Sears. I mean, JP. I mean, JP Sears could be passing Caprillion already in the rotation. Dustin Fowler, who Mateo is now doing stuff for the Orioles. But I mean, seriously, trades with the Yankees. This one already, JP Sears, and now we'll see what if Waldachuk, What I've seen with Waldachuk, the way turning for the camera, the way he hides the ball back here where you see my hand. I mean, he hides the baseball. If he comes and starts giving the A's good innings with Sears, won that trade. Here, you want Frankie and Lou? Go right ahead. Take that trade already. Now, we got a long way to go, but I take that trade already. But last night was some really cool stuff. And good for is Franny going to be joining us? He's not there. You can see, you'll see him pop up when he comes. I mean, let's face it; it's good for the game. It really is. And when you can have stars like that, no doubt about it. And it and the debate when it, when it the, the whole thing now when you have these people like, well, we should have an MVP, but then we should just have a most outstanding. It's like, dude, I've asked you the question. Don't give me another award because you don't want to have an opinion. I want opinions. We're an opinion-based show. When I ask you who you think should be the MVP, don't create another award so you don't have to give an opinion. And But the fact that they're playing against each other and it gets people talking about it, it's a win for baseball. However you feel on a Taunio judge, it puts baseball in the conversation right now where a lot of people just want to talk about training camp in the NFL. You know, when is Eno Saris this week?
4: Probably I got to talk to him. We'll do Friday because our next show after this is Friday.
6: So really want to get into something that I don't know how much it excites you. I do think it's kind of a, a learning process that we're going through and we go through this all together. And Eno has done an article on this. I said this is the year. As, if you've ever read the book, The Tipping Point. This, to me, was the year was going to be the tipping point of when we're going to see historic lows in innings pitched now the past couple years, and how that's going to affect the game overall. How is that going to affect teams? How much you go to the bullpen. As James Caprillion tonight for the Athletics is trying to avoid his 33rd straight start of six innings or less. That's crazy. That's never happened before in A's history. Now, he's thrown the ball. I mean, other than his last start where he wasn't good, uh, his last nine starts he was 3-2 and two with a 2.59. That's really good. But he's not giving you those extra innings Finishing, I mean, basically for this season, he has averaged five innings a start. So that's where I go into my, my routine of, it's going to be a law, firm, a law firm game. It's going to be the law firm of Pruitt, Mole, Acevedo, Puck, whoever. And you're asking four, five, maybe six guys to finish the game. But then that not only, not only affects you for this game, but affects you for the next couple games. Well, that's just one start. Well, what happens if now all of your guys go five innings? And now you're asking the bullpen to cover four, at least three, four, if not five innings every single game. How will this affect the team long term? Well, Eno has come out with an article, and I can't wait to talk to Mike Farron about this, one of the teams that has really struggled because their bullpen has not been the same as last year. They have not, even with the added, you know, added pitcher, you're allowed 13 pitchers. You're allowed all these guys in the bullpen when you haven't had the same success and you've had injuries. And they're now tracking okay, who are the teams that go back to back the most? Who are the teams that use guys back to back to back the most? Who's tied for number one in the back to back to back? That's the San Francisco Giants. By the way, the San Francisco Giants lost again to the Padres last night. They got the Padres again today, I think, at three forty five is the start time.
4: Oh uh, no, that's three forty five. I think it's playing they're playing right now. It's a day game. Oh, 345 okay. Eastern, so twelve forty five. So they I they're,
6: was listening to Sirius. It's, it's, it's hard
4: to look at our scoreboard and not see anything on it. I mean we're not used to that.
6: So the Giants right now, what, sixty one and sixty five? No. Sixty one and sixty seven, if I'm not mistaken. Six under now. We have confirmed it. This is looking to be the biggest drop-off from one year to another in the history of baseball. No team has won that many games and then dropped that many games the very next season. Has never happened before. As they crushed it with 107 victories last year to now clearly going to finish well under 500, unless there's some miraculous hot streak. And you wonder, how could you drop so many games? One of the reasons why, bullpen. And a lot of the teams that have overutilized their bullpens this year do not have good records on the year. It's been a really big struggle. So something that we really have been waiting to see how this season would play out, when if you're not going to require and baby your starters – And they're going to tell us, well, this is just modern-day baseball. How's that going to work for teams? Well, for some teams, it's going to be horrific. And we're going to see how it's going to work for the A's down the stretch when you've got so many outings for a guy. Let's just take an Acevedo. We're not in September yet. And the call-ups now, you, you don't have the luxury like the Milwaukee Brewers had for these years To call up a bazillion guys, Tampa. Call up a bazillion guys, and that's how you were going to get through September because you wore your bullpen out till September, but then the reinforcements came. But the reinforcements aren't coming. And watching, by the way, Cody, watching that the other day uh, on MLB Network, watching the actual Brewers and Pirates game, and I can't remember – why well, would you subject yourself to that? The Pirates are horrible. Why? It was a game it was on. I was watching it. It was one of the MLB Network guys who made the incredible point of bullpen is seriously struggling for Milwaukee. Milwaukee now is out. Uh, they're the seventh seed as the Padres are the sixth seed. And they have really babied the starters who have been good for the Brewers. And the question has been, What is more important for you right now if you're Milwaukee? Is it relying more on your starters and getting yourself into the postseason or protecting your starters and making sure they're healthy for spring training? I was like, was that really just said on MLB Network? Was that really just admitted that you basically just said about a front office in Major League Baseball that you're so – Over, over babying your guys that somebody who's paid to cover this game for the network that's paid for by Major League Baseball is questioning what do you care more about? Do you care more about your starters' health for spring training or pushing them a little more to help out your bullpen to help your team do what? Get in the postseason. Because once you get in the postseason – You have an opportunity to try and win a World Series, and that's what everybody talks about. That's what everybody says. They say that's what matters. That's what they care about. I mean, you want to you want to talk about a damning statement to a front office where you're truly questioning your 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 motive of what to say. I mean, you got a month left. Are you going to be pulling your guys this early and going to bullpen that's getting hammered and yet and? You got rid of Josh Hader. Well, that might have been a blessing in disguise. Whatever he's done in San Diego, that wasn't happening in Milwaukee. True, it wasn't, no. So, so, so technically, I can't say that what's happening in San Diego where Hader has struggled, that would have continued to happen where he was comfortable and where he's been successful his entire career to where he's just not been a good reliever. He's been a historic reliever.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
6: Price and coverage match limited by state law. Waldechuk reminds me of Scott Carl. Do you remember Scott Carl?
4: I I know the name, but I don't remember seeing a pitch.
6: Scott Carl had a decent career, pitched for the Milwaukee Brewers. He was a tall lefty, uh, hid the ball real well. I think he had a 500 record. Look it up. I think he had a 500 record. The only reason why I bring up Scott Carl is not because I'm a, a brew crew fan, even though I love me a lot of their broadcasters
4: 54 and 56 of the four, eight, one
6: ERA played against him in high school and he was dominant and no one knew who this guy was, he was from North County, San Diego. We were the dominant team, right? The high school team. I was, I was telling Alex Jensen, the story today, we were supposed to, we were, we set the record. We set a bunch of offensive records in San Diego. And if you don't know, there's been a few good baseball teams and baseball players out of San Diego. We were the favorites, and this dude out of North 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 County came out and just blew us away. Couldn't hit him. Couldn't see it. He hit the ball, and it was nasty. And oh, yeah, by the way, what, what was his – yeah, he pitched in Major League Baseball. Ended up yeah. having a decent little career.
4: Yeah, 54 and 56. How much money did he make?
6: He made uh, a little dough. A
4: 4, four eight, one career ERA. He made – let's see if it has it. should. He made $8.5 million.
6: Scott Carl. That's yeah. who he reminds me of. Now I think he's going to be better than Scott Carl. But that's, just the way he pitches, it reminds me of that. And I'm thinking to myself watching that yesterday. Clearly the Nationals had a game plan to that, and it's so different now. Like, I told you, I watch video on Ken Waldachuk. If I watch video of him, what do you think the Nationals had? They probably knew, and I'm not going to say probably, it was obvious, This kid's going to try and establish this four-seam fastball. He loves it. He throws it a lot. We're going to come out hacking. So what happened on the very first pitch of the game? See, these guys, I have to watch every game. I was watching it. Oh, Actually, I missed the first half inning. Exactly. The the difference between all the people I work with who they act like they're covering this team and the bozo like me (laughs) has to cover every inning of every game. Hey, I made sure I put out his first strikeout on Twitter. Yeah, don't think I didn't. I didn't come down Amelia Schimmel's road <laughs> when she's tried to come after me about extra innings games. I'm like, hey, did you watch this? Oh well, uh, uh, uh. yeah. Is exactly. that yeah? You all love extra innings when it fits your time, when it fits in your schedule. But some of us have to watch the entire four hours and two minutes. <sighs> first pitch, guy swings at it, it's a double down the line. It, it went base hit, base hit, reverse K, base hit. Three out of the first four batters, Ken Wall to Chuck face got a base hit. They were hunting heater right out of the gate. They said, this kid's going to come at us, and don't wait till you see that secondary stuff. You get it. It's called grip it and rip it. And that's what they did. And I, I'm in panic mode. I have no idea how Scott Emerson is feeling. I should have texted Emo. I have no idea how Ken Waldachuk, Shea Langeleers is feeling, but how far is D.C. from San Jose, California? It's about a a
4: five-hour flight, six-hour flight. Oh, it's six, six and a half, no question.
6: I'm panicking back in San Jose, California. I don't know how they're feeling. I'm panicking.
4: If you drove, it would take 42 hours. It's 2,842.3 miles.
6: 2,842.3 miles away <laughs> from Washington, D.C. Yours truly is in panic mode watching this game going, oh, my God, this is not the start. I've been building this up. Can't wait to see Ken Waldachuk. We had Eric Val- uh, Valenzuela on, his former head coach. We're talking about how great this is all going to be. And he gives up three hits in the first four batters. Oh, you, you see this Stockton Port hat, how red it is? That's how red my face was. I was in panic mode. But not Ken Waldachuk. He settled down. We got Mike Farron. The great Mike Farron is there right now. Yeah, he, he's early. Yeah, he's early. He's hardly early for his show. What are you doing? Um, I'm going to be, you want me to, you know I've always been honest with you. I hope so. I've always you know, generally,
5: Tony. When somebody says, "I'm going to be honest with you," it means I know they're full of it. Well, this one I'm going to
6: be honest with you. Okay, <laughs> um, we got a letter from PG and E. See, I, I, I bought a house about, I bought the new house about six years ago, and the people that live in my neighborhood in San Jose, California, thought it'd be great to put palm trees up. So they must have gotten a deal. On palm trees in the neighborhood, uh, and of course, palm trees do one thing—they grow. All over. Yeah. Fall over. Well, that's also the. <laughs> so PG&E is here at my house where we would be doing the studio. we will be in our studio for a road game, but I have no power at the house. So today. Here you go, Mike Farron. If you were a season ticket holder for the A's, you'd be taking batting practice right now.
5: Wow, that looks like a great event. Huh? That looks like it's a lot of fun.
6: Now, will you be
5: taking batting practice?
6: Well, well we're going to tell you we didn't know this was going on. We just needed a place to do the show. We showed up and went, oh, it's batting practice. Look now, how this see, works out.
5: This sounds like a fraud to me because my guess is that, everybody, that, that you were secretly going to do this so that you could get in and show off. That San Jose State uh, baseball background. So, I, I, I saw you had Franny on yesterday. You know, yeah. I think figured you had to get a real Spartan hitter in there.
6: Yeah, I, I I think at fifty, I still could go deep. I may I may try and get in there. I think I can still take one out of the yard at fifty in
5: jeans and sneakers. You yeah. think you're going bridge?
6: I, I think I can take one out. I, I still get five think I that can. says no chance. I probably would go with you that, but my bravado says that I still can make it happen.
5: I'll tell you what. If you go deep, what's the you You guys have A's Charities, right? Yeah, I'll make a's a $50 community. donation to A's Charity if you go deep.
6: That's that big-time XM money right there. You heard that, folks. 50 bucks on the great Mike Farron. Uh, right now, as we got one month left, what are you most excited about down the stretch?
5: Um, that's a good question. I think the National League East race I, I'm excited about because I think those two teams are really, really good. I mean, I think... Like to me there there's five teams that I would say have probably between like a seventy and eighty percent chance of winning the World Series. I think it's the, the Astros and the Yankees. And I know the Yankees last six weeks hasn't been great, but that's still a pretty good team. And then I would say Atlanta, the Mets and the Dodgers are the other three. Obviously the Dodgers are having an incredible year. Yeah. So Um, I think that's one of the things I'm most excited about because I do think that has a chance to be very close and I'm not sure that the Mets are actually better than the Braves. I think they're pretty evenly matched. So that's one thing that I'm excited about. I'm excited about, um, I'm excited about Seattle, you know, like I'm excited to see what that would be like. Um, You know, my in-laws live in Seattle. My brother-in-law and his family are there. Our nephew is 16 and is a huge Mariners fan. And, you know, he's never seen this in his life, anything like this. So the idea of them potentially hosting a playoff series, it's been 21 years since they've even been there. If they were able to get like the number three seed... Or excuse me, the number four seed and be able to host in the in the um, you know the wild card round. I think that would be pretty cool. So those are the things I think I'm most excited about down the stretch.
6: Well, I'll tell you what, and you know how much I listen to uh, your guys' channel, Channel 89, Sirius XM MLB Radio. Uh, on Sunday morning, I was driving up, and I love the GM show where Jim Bowden mm-hmm. gets all of his buddies to come on. They had Jerry Depoto on. And it's one thing to read about Julio Rodriguez's contract, but then to have Jerry Depoto actually put it in layman's terms and actually understand all the triggers and everything about it. And listening to Jerry on your guys' air, I was like, I love this idea. I love this idea the way it's structured for maybe a a small market team like the A's. Like, okay, we'll guarantee you the 120 up front, but then you have all these triggers. And if you meet everything – that means you're a superstar player and you're worth every dime. Then it's worth 470. When you heard how it it, it broke down before we get back into the postseason and, and and looking this last month, just you know, you got me thinking about Seattle. What'd you think about the Julio Rodriguez contract and how it was structured?
5: I mean, incredibly creative. And and I'm with you. I think it's you know less about the market size and more about that you know the deal is going to guarantee him 210 billion dollars. You know he's gonna he's gotten. A five-year, ninety-million-dollar option on it. If he were to pick up, if the Mariners don't take, pick up the more expensive option um, that buys out a number of his free agent years, he still would be looking at eighteen million dollars a year. I think that's. Uh, I think it's a big win for him. Now, you know, there could be the chance that both of them turn down, turn that down when he hits. You know, gets to free agency at the end of the the hundred and twenty million-dollar portion. But it struck me in how fair it was for the player. How, f- how fair it was for the team and how there were still chances for him if he proved that he was the best player in the league to be able to earn at that level. Now, I'm not a huge fan of tying um, financial um, – financial commitments on players to BBWAA voting. I think it kind of runs against, runs counter to, I mean, I think the voting runs counter to what the BBWAA's mission should be anyway and covering the game impartially. But I do think that, you know, trying to create a way that's the best that they can do in the system that we have right now and cre- creating um, a way to allow that to happen was a smart move. And so I give, you know, Jerry Depoto credit for it. And, he, you know, I think I've listened to that interview too, and him talking yeah. about, um, you know, the fact that he had done the first generation deal for Mike Trout and how much that had helped him when he was the general manager of the Angels. Ulysses Cabrera, who's, who's Rodriguez agent, deserves a ton of credit for being creative in this too. I think it was a really good structure and I think they lock up, you know, a guy who has a potential to be an absolute superstar player for, you know, the the, the bulk of his career, if not his entire career. I mean, you know, compare it to the situation that the Mariners were in. You know, when they traded uh, Ken Griffey Jr. to the the Reds. Like, you, you're not going to have to worry about that, right? Like, if you're a Mariners fan, you can buy Julio Rodriguez gear, and you've got it. You know that he's going to be there probably for the next at least 12 years.
6: Yeah, it's been one thing that uh, our fans hate. They always talk about it. Like, we can't yeah. buy a jersey. We don't know who's going to be here. And listening. To that interview, and I'm glad you listened to it because when Jerry DePoto starts saying, you know, this is from multiple deals to take, okay, I'll take this from what we did with Trout and I'll take this here and kind of structure this and make it unique. Once you do this, now you're going to have other franchises. I think about what we tried to do with Matt Chapman. Could we have made that a deal more like that that made him and Scott Boris more interested in being Oakland for a longer period of time? Who knows?
5: Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, I think the other thing that allowed this to happen is how early they did it, right? I mean, you're talking about a player that doesn't even have one year of service time. And so it's kind of similar to the Wander Franco deal from last winter. I think it was another one that, that, that DePoto referenced there. So... Um, you know, obviously things with Chapman would have been a little bit different because he was a little older when he got to the big leagues because he played at Fullerton. But I think you're right in the sense that this could potentially pave the, the groundwork for contracts like that. The, the key to this one, though, that I think is different than a number of the other ones is that it allows the, the player to gain to earn close to what market value would be, at least as of today. 10 years from now, if he's who we, th- we think he's going to be, there's a good chance that that deal looks like a massive steal because salaries, revenues, all of that will continue to go up, hopefully. And so if that happens, then it looks like a steal for the team. But in today's context, in 2022 $20, dollars, He's going to be paid fairly for uh, what would be his arbitration and, and potential free agent years that he's given up, and that's that's a big difference, I think, from a number of, especially the the early um, you know uh, early team control contracts that we saw, maybe going back to the Cleveland days in the '90s, that were swung very heavily towards the team.
6: Yeah, and you know, generational wealth. But we always look at it glass half full, right? Well, if we look at it in a way, if something goes bad, the deal's not too restrictive. You can kind of handle that kind of money if it turns out to be a contract that, you know, knock on wood, I don't want to see him get hurt, obviously. Right. I mean, if something goes bad, kind of a la we're kind of seeing with Tatis in San Diego right now, it's not the guaranteed money is not something you can't swallow.
5: Yeah, it works out to be, you know, around, what, $18 million yeah. a year if he picks up that option. So, um, and, in fact, the option years are at $18 million per. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And and especially as revenues and payrolls continue to go up, it's going to take out a smaller and smaller portion of that.
6: Uh, looking at just uh, getting back to the playoffs, as you mentioned the Mariners right now, the number five seed, I've got the playoff picture in front of me right here. And just looking at the seeding, and we talk about it for a first time with a bye. And what do you think as we go down the stretch looking at this, as people are jockeying for position and how you how the seeding works in the postseason and how these wild card series, then you meet the one and two seed. It brings a whole new dynamic. Yeah, it
5: does. I mean, I think the, the thing is that the top two seeds in each league are pretty well determined, right? So, like, we know that it's going to be whoever wins the East. And it's going to be the Dodgers in the National League. And we know it's going to be the Astros and the Yankees in the American League. So then it's a matter of, you know, who gets a chance to play the divisional winner who's going to be, you know, have a a lesser record. And I think that that might be more important in the American League. And I'll circle back to that in a second. And then it's just a matter of, you know, making sure that you get in. You know, if you are the three or the four seed, you're going to host a three-game series. Um, There's no travel in that round, so there should be a little bit more of an advantage there, even though home field advantage doesn't matter nearly as much in baseball as it does in the other sports. But I do think that's important. The one thing I would say is in the the American League picture, because I think the teams that are in there right now in both leagues are the ones that are probable to finish there. Um, and, and that's comes from somebody who really likes that Milwaukee team and loved them coming into the year, but they just have not been able to get on track. So um, I think the biggest disadvantage would be like if Toronto finishes at the sixth seed, having to face the right handed pitching of the uh, the Guardians, I think would be a pretty significant issue for them. Um, because I really think that that Guardian staff is very good, and their best pitchers are from the right side in both the, the bullpen uh, and in the rotation. While Toronto's fine against right-handed pitching over the course of the year, like you're talking about elite level stuff, and they can run Bieber and, and McKenzie at you, and I think that's a really dangerous tandem. But um, you know, I think it's mostly just trying to. I, I think for the most part, it's just trying to get in and. Um, you know the back of the National League race becomes a little bit more exciting with that because it's been so long since the Phillies have been to the playoffs and they're only a game and a half a- ahead of the Padres who have you know terrific rotation and uh, can match you up with really quality righties or lefties and um, you know if Milwaukee were to get in they you know the idea of having to face Corbin Burns and and Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta in the series does not sound like a whole lot of fun so um, I think it's you know for the most part, it's shocking for position with maybe you know one of those teams that could sneak from the outside. I don't think Baltimore's going to get in, but um, those other teams, you know, at least Milwaukee has a fighting chance.
6: You know, one of the things about baseball at this time of the year, storylines are key, and the Yankees were just here for four games as they split. Now they go down to Anaheim. Now it's judge and otani and what's so good about this and i've been trying to talk to our our uh, our great listeners whether it's this show or the post game show saying listen so much of the sport has now moved into training camps and we're in preseason football games and college football is starting and now football starts to take over that's something that even though whether the head to head matchup should or shouldn't matter for the MVP, giving us something in baseball that's news that they're talking about around the country, whether it's a sports center or other networks. We're on a Monday night and a Tuesday night. We're talking about Yankees and we're talking about Angels down at the Big A. How good has that been for our sport?
5: Well, I think it's great, and I think it's, you know, like there's the added, and I know this doesn't necessarily – you know it may cause A's fans to to roll their eyes a little bit, but, you know, when you have bigger market teams to get together like this, it tends to give you a little bit more attention, right? And so to have the two best players in the league be in New York and and in the Los Angeles market, I think is important. And I think it it does – listen, it's going to lead to a lot of debates, right, over – you know, Otani does what – he does the job of a top-flight starting pitcher and a middle of the lineup hitter. Like he's really important in that regard. Whereas Judge is just having an incredible year. Hi, how are you? It's good to see you.
6: Yeah, it's our season ticket holders. These are our friends, family. You're so popular,
5: man. Like I didn't realize that. I didn't think anybody ever came to give you a hug.
6: I yeah, like you. You ignore. Nobody never hugs you. You ignore me at spring training. You and the Duke. Yeah. We got to force you to come on the show. Here, people love me. See
5: that's you're amongst your people,
6: but I think I, I gotta think buy it's, you um, drinks in San Diego just to hang know, out with you. I know. Well, it's looks like I'm gonna be doing that again this doing Friday, that again by this way. year, right? <laughs> yeah.
5: So at least hey, at least we'll be able to get together in San Diego this year. That, so I, I I do think that it, it's a big positive, positive. and I think that that the discussion on Otani versus Judge is a positive for the sport too, yeah. because both teams are are or both players are really important players. I mean, Judge, you know it's not insignificant to see Judge get the American League record in home runs. I mean... Especially, that's a, a number that still has significance, I think, in 61. Um, you know, he's 10 shy of tying Maris, which would be both the franchise and the American League record. Um, you know, it's. I'm not looking forward to the sports talk show ish debate over uh, whether or not that's the legitimate home run record or if it's Bonds, oh, because the record book says it's Bonds, and it's gonna, Bonds. That's
6: going to be I'm big concerned. here, by the way.
5: Oh, I'm sure oh, it's going to be. But you know what? Like, I'm not going to waste your time by talking about it because I know <laughs> what the record books say. So, uh, but I do think it's pretty Cool and and listen like Judge's season is incredible and I think the most incredible part of what Aaron Judge has done this year is that for the most part he's played center field and oh. played it pretty well like that guy is and I mean this in the best possible way a freak like he is one of the like he's one of the smartest hitters in baseball if. If we had an automated strike zone, I think you would have seen his strike drop, strikeout rate drop about 5% total over the year because nobody gets more low strikes called against him, the bitches that aren't strikes, because he's so tall. Yeah. Like that guy is a smart hitter. He would get terrific command of the strike zone, terrific defender. Like he's got everything going for him. And then Otani is, I mean, O- Ohtani's just a joy, man. Like that guy, that guy does something every night that like nobody else can do. It's, I we're so lucky to be able to watch Shohei Ohtani play. I think
6: I'm so glad you brought up what a freak Aaron Judge is because so much of the fanboy in our sport looks at Ohtani, and it is—he's a unicorn. He's doing stuff that we haven't seen ever. It's not Babe Ruth. No one's ever done this. But mm-hmm. you forget. Wait a minute, Aaron Judge. I try and tell people this because when you stand on the field next to him. He basically looks like an offensive tackle, not a basketball player. Basketball players aren't that big. Like he's the size of Draymond Green, but he's way bigger than Draymond Green. He's sniffing almost. He's the green. sign
5: of Eric, size of Eric Green, <laughs> the old Steelers tight end. That's he, what he is.
6: He could literally, if he gained twenty pounds, he could be a left tackle. He is mm-hmm. that big. And as you said, he's playing plays right, does some DH, but he's doing it at center field, a premium position. And he does everything. That's why I tell people, just don't say, because Otani's doing something we've never seen before. Well, we've never seen a human being this big play baseball and have him do it in center field. He's also a freak.
5: Well, I think that's the I think that's the part of it is that it, it's not just that he's played center field. Like Jeremy Burnett's played a fair about a center field, right? But Burnett's was never a great defender. Judge plays the position well. Like, I think that's the other aspect of it. And I don't think – as much as I think what Otani does every day, it's easy to say, like, listen, this guy is one of the top pitchers in the league and also he's one of the top hitters, and so he should be the MVP. I totally can see that argument, but I also don't think you should discount what Judge is doing because it's not just about the home run total. I mean, he is a dominant – he has been – Nearly twice as valuable or twice as productive as the average offensive player. You know, I like weighted runs created plus a lot. 100 is average. Judge is at 198. That means he's been 98% more productive than the league average player while mostly playing one of the tougher defensive positions. He's not just putting out, Otani's putting up an Otani season. Judge is putting up a trout season, only with better power.
6: You know, one thing—if—if if you kind of poke holes, right—and we get to see Otani more than other people—and one thing that doesn't get brought up—that happened earlier in the season—is when the Angels took a dive. They were a team that was right there. We were all talking about, "Oh my God, finally Trout, Otani in the postseason." The Angels—they lost 14 straight. It's franchise record. Joe Madden gets canned, and that was kind of their season right there. And if you go back and look at the numbers during that time, the pitching wasn't great for Otani. The hitting wasn't great at all. And that's when they needed their guy the most. And that's where I look at Aaron Judge. And I'm not going to say one guy's on a better team than the other, but the pressure that Judge is under. Like, he didn't homer for nine games and people are on him. I mean – you lose 14 straight, your season's over. No one outside of Anaheim was really freaking out. If the if the Yankees lost 14 straight and Judge wasn't hitting, oh, my God, I can't even imagine what it would be like. So the pressure Judge is under is so immense.
5: Yeah, it is. I mean, and I think the other part is that he's, he's kind of having um, a Sammy Sosa-ish year and that he's having to carry this offense, right? Like, it's almost like – Sosa 98 you know when he when he won the MVP award where he was kind of like the only guy that was having a monster season and so I I get that aspect of it but it's also as you know really difficult to go to the ballpark and post and still perform every day when the team is not playing well. And that's where they are. I mean, they're in a position where not only do they have that long losing streak, but they had their manager come in and then their interim manager makes the decision to have an opener throw at a guy and <laughs> ends up getting suspended for 10 Phil, games, right? Phil and Nevin. like, it just, like, <laughs> like there's, there's enough other stuff that goes on. And... I don't know that we can fully understand the pressure that Otani is on every game because everything that he does is a national event in an entire country, right? Like, Aaron Judge has to deal with New York. Okay, that's fine. There are more people in Japan than there are in New York City, and everything that Otani does, everything that he says, every move that he makes— is followed to the end in his home country, and pro- heck, it might be just a relief playing in the states in that regard. So, <laughs> like, there's probably not there. There probably isn't as much pressure as there is from back home. So, I do think that that while you're right from a one loss standpoint, there is more pressure on Judge to perform, and especially with the expectations for his team, there are external pressures that are on Otani that I don't think any of us can fathom. Can be, begin to like Ichiro can fathom. Uh, that's about it.
6: Uh, real quick, if you voted right now, which guy you voting for?
5: I, I don't vote for awards, so I'm not – I don't care.
6: Real quick, I if you had to vote for awards. one, who would you vote for? Just who you vote for? I don't know. No? In another month to make a decision. Goldschmidt for sure in the National League?
5: I think Goldschmidt, yeah. I And as somebody who's known Paul for a long time, I'd be very happy okay. for him. I mean – um, you know, he's, he's got a legitimate chance to be the first Triple Crown winner in the National League in 85 years.
6: Yeah, Joe Medwick, 80, by the way, who, yep. had, who I did know the nickname Ducky. I didn't know Ducky it was Medwick. Ducky. Ducky, yep. yes, the great Ducky. Uh, Ducky let's Ducky. end on this. Uh, somebody who's been so good to us, uh, I can't tell you. There's one manager that we have on all the time, and he always tells his PR staff, oh, I want to do the video with them because most people just want to do the phone call. They don't want to deal with it. And uh, ever since we got to meet them in San Diego at the winter meetings in 2019 – uh, he's been so good to us, and Toy Lovello, getting his contract picked up for another year, yeah. you know him so well, he's a former A, and like I said, what he's done for us here on A's cast as a as a manager, a former athletic, uh, just happy, how happy are you for him that he's in the situation he's in, he loves to be there, he continues to want and build there, and he's going to get that opportunity.
5: I, I'm very happy for him, and especially when you consider that they lost 110 games last year and stuck with him through that, and now they've been able to see the rewarder from the other side. You're not going to find a better person in baseball, in my opinion, than Tory Lovello. He's just a tremendous human being, um, and he's a really good manager and player development manager. You know, I think I don't know that he's necessarily the best at. Uh, bullpen maneuvering or certain X's and O's inside the game. But I think in terms of getting the pulse of players, figuring out what they need, building relationships – um, being a communicator, I think Tory's top of the chain, and you'd be hard pressed to have somebody. He's the, he's the kind of person that you dream of wanting to work for, right? He'll let you do your job unless there's an issue, then he's going to address it right away. But he's going to get your input as well on everything, and I I could not be happier for him. And it is fun watching them. You know, start to turn the corner a little bit um, they're not tied with the Giants for third place in the West oh. and you know some of that is the Giants have, have struggled oh. because they haven't been able to recapture the ma- Magic from a season ago but part of it is that Arizona has some pretty good young players, and you know we get to see Corbin Carroll's debut this year out here in the desert and and this week, and you know he's got a chance to be that kind of impactful two way guy as a guy with a lot of doubles and triples, stolen bases, get for a high average, and play really good defense. So um, I'm excited for Tori. I'm happy for for him because you know he's one of my favorites.
6: Well, I can tell you here in the San Francisco Bay Area, the media does not want to really dwell on it. So I feel it's my obligation to let everybody know on a daily basis that this is the biggest drop-off from year to year for the San Francisco Giants in the history of Major League <laughs> Baseball. I just feel it's my duty now to let people know. why
5: would that know. be on your list of things to Because I'm a me. journalist. I can't possibly understand why. I am a journalist.
6: Yes. I'm not a talk show host. I'm not an opinion maker. I'm not a hot take guy. <laughs> I graduated with a degree in radio, television, and film. I'm a journalist, and I need to let the public know the truth. The only thing that you were missing is I'm going
5: to be honest with you because that would have been the perfect thing to say before you said I'm a journalist and not a hot take
0: artist. Oh, God, it's the best. Hey,
5: real quick, I saw what your guest list is. One, you have to ask Sean Doolittle about playing with puppies all day because they had puppies at the ballpark yesterday in Washington, and he was, like, literally getting in the cage with them and playing, like, cross-legged, on-the-ground, like puppies crawling all over him. Okay. And I saw you've got Eric Fallon's whale on. I love Eric Fallon's whale. Like, that guy is a great coach, and you know he was a Golden Gloves boxer.
6: Uh, well, that will be now brought up. What else you
5: got? That's, that's all. Listen, I can't do all your prep for you. You got Cody for a reason.
6: What else you got? Come on, Golden Gloves. You got to have something else, no, right? No, man. It's, I'm big. Uh, Eric, I mean,
5: Eric did a terrific job. At St. Mary's, they had a little bit of a disappointing season this year at Long Beach. I think there were higher expectations than what they they ended up reaching. But I think the, the Dirtbags program is in great hands with him. He's tough as nails and comp- – a totally fair and a really really good baseball coach
6: well i always appreciate your time you're one of the tops in our business you know how much i love you, you. forgot to say i'm going to
5: be honest with you to I be completely
6: gonna... honest with you duke carries you no i love your guys show you know <laughs> hey at least in you you know i listen
5: yes i do i do i'm glad that we have a p1 in you
6: i am a first time caller long time listener of your guys' <laughs> show
5: Appreciate it, bud. It's good to talk to you. So stay out of the sun.
6: And, yes, drinks on me in San Diego. Okay. (laughs) Take care, buddy. See you, pal. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest coming to us from our nation's capital. He is a kid from the South Bay, Bellarmine Prep, one of the great San Jose State baseball players of all time. He's not number one, but he's one of them former big leaguer and now with the Washington Nationals doing television Kevin Franz and the Great Franny is with us Franny how are you Tony how you been It has been a while
3: I know well last time I saw you you had like this makeshift studio now you have a green screen and everything
6: Yeah we're uh we're we're now at we're at NBC I'm doing the TV today and the radio I'm double I'm double dipping, double paychecks today so they they set us up they set us in this room that uh, here up here in San Francisco, it is fantastic. How is the first year back with the Nats? Of course, you played there, but how's the first year doing TV?
3: Ah, uh, well, it's been fun, I guess. Isn't that, that's the classic line you're supposed to say, I think. Um, I don't like <laughs> losing. I don't. I, I'm very much on board with the uh, the fact that you know we haven't played well on the field. Now, a couple things go into uh, the other part of it, which has been awesome, which is this coaching staff has been ridiculous uh, for myself, you know, getting acclimated to, to everything here, uh, pretty much being just open book on everything. Um, the players have been awesome. There's been a lot of, you know, up and downs with a lot of guys. And then
0: you know, obviously
3: a little trade that kind of shook the world, but um, yeah, it's been good. I mean, Bob Carpenter is, as pro, is a as you come with a uh, longtime long time broadcaster and then uh, Dan Coco who's been filling in of recent um, it's been um uh, it's been fun it's been it's been different because of you know you're the new guy on the block but uh we've had a blast in, even in a losing season and uh we're trying to make the most of it
6: yeah carpenter's got his scorebook right and for years I had this company that made my scorebook. It was fancy with the A's logo. They're down in Morgan Hill, and I was paying like, after shipping, it was like $115, and I, one day I'm like, I can get Carpenter's book that's got everything I need for 30 bucks, and it's going to be here in a yeah. week. Bang. So tell your boy I, I support him every single oh, I year. He's get, I will. He's getting a little San Jose State money from me. Uh, before we get yeah. into this game, <laughs> Uh, we're climbing a mountain. Spartans start on Thursday, so you better stay yeah. up late.
3: No, no, it's, uh, it's going to be an exciting year. Uh, I, I always wonder what that year after uh, whatever year is going to be like, you know? This is it. This is it. Coach Brennan for uh, Coach of the Year already. Let's do this.
6: Yeah, it's always one of those, kind of like an A season. It's like, you can have a good season. Oh, my God, what's going to happen what? next year? And then you can have another what? good season, and you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? Na- nah. We just have to enjoy the ride it's as right. we have it. Uh, just take us through the whole Juan Soto doesn't want to sign. Oh, you're going to offer Juan Soto another deal. I mean, it's just, just on and on and on. You had the trades last year. You weren't there. You were in Philly. But the trades last year with Turner and Scherzer going to L.A., obviously breaking up the championship club, which is always tough to do. But Juan Soto's a different deal. He's young. He can be a national forever, but he keeps turning down crazy money. And then the big trade with Bell to San Diego. And the Nats got a huge haul. Take us through it. What was the experience like?
3: Uh, Not fun, I guess you could say. Because, I mean, Juan's Juan's different. Like, when you think about – overall hitters in the game. He's the top, right? Um, I call him the black and white because that's all he's compared to is black and white photos. It's like Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and you know, Stan Musial and you're, you're, you're looking at these names going seriously. And to know and understand who he is as a person first off. I mean, that that kid's crazy. Good. But then he's a crazy good person. And, you know, willing to do any interview and every interview. Um, he's so, so dialed in with his English now that he doesn't he just shoes off the interpreter saying like, no, I got this. Um, the ability to have that confidence. I wonder, I always wonder if that translates to stuff on the field, right? Like guys yeah. that are so confident um, being able to, uh, you know, speak the language, the native language and, and hear it in English. And um, I, I just feel like it just it just makes him like the Superman. Um, I can understand both sides. Number one, the nationals, I don't care what anyone says about AAVs or not. They offered him one hell of a contract, (laughs) right? So I don't, I I don't want to hear people going like, "AAV, you can't do this. Hey, they did it. They did it right. And that's not me. I I don't technically work for the team. So I can tell you on the other end, if I didn't agree with it, um, and then I agree with one, if he doesn't feel like that's good enough for him then so be it i mean it is a giant gamble you know and and so for the uh, boris court and uh what they've decided with him is that they're going to continue to go forward and and see how it goes look the whole process sucked because the fact of the matter is um you're losing a generational player but the questions you always have to ask are were you going to win with him and that age-old question of like the star or the team. And it's not like the star is a bad dude, right? Like you're, you're trading I, I got to get rid of this guy. Um, what they got in return, we're, we're still going to find out right in like what, three, four years, you'll find out completely what you got out of that trade. You're never going to have the, um, in the moment, everyone's gonna say like, what a haul!" And you don't know, not until those other guys start coming up, but the, the hassles and the wood. And, uh, Uh, The Susanna kid, who is unbelievable. We got Defenzie Gore um, and CJ Abrams and Luke Boyd. I mean, that's a big haul. But you're losing – you're in in the grand scheme of things. If I talk about Juan, I I miss out on talking about Josh and how like he's been – I know he hasn't played well at all with San Diego. He was our team MVP here. And, again, you lost another unbelievable human. And that's a hard one to uh, to trade off, right? You, you don't want to trade off clubhouse guys. Guys are willing to take other people under their wings and, and lead and, and right the ship. So, um, look, if anyone at, at any point wants to question, you know, or not question, I wouldn't say, wants to play uh, uh, Mike Rizzo in any poker, <laughs> good luck, have fun. Because you're going to call his bluff, and I, I, I'm sorry. I think he called everyone else's when he did it.
6: You know, it's just what do you do as an organization when you say here's 400 something million and now here's four I mean you're you're getting to the half a bill mark and somebody's it's still half it's, a bill. it's still not enough and it's like man you're one guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you got some pop. You're an okay outfielder. I mean, he's not the greatest it,
3: outfielder I, in the I, world. I, I'm going to say it. I I will say it. it. You're you're getting the
0: hitter.
6: I'm getting a guy a that when you say he's a black and white guy, he walks a lot. Great. But I mean when he starts when I started seeing these Ted Williams comparisons, I just went, Well, I'll just go to baseball reference and Ted Williams at twenty three years old is hitting three seventy, he's hitting right. two seventy. So basically what you're telling me is he walks a lot and he's got some pop. So I can see OPS and stuff like this, but in the end, I mean I'm This was my problem with him, is my return on investment. I don't know him. I've never interviewed him. You got to know him. You say he's a great kid. I just, other than just him as a baseball player, I don't know how I'm selling him. I don't know. I mean, he's a guy that walks down wow. we're in San Francisco right now. He walks down the street, no one's got a clue who he is, right? He's not LeBron James. Wow, he he's there. not he's not if Tom he Brady. Was there, they would. <laughs> well, if he's in your market, but if he's not in your market, I guarantee you right. when he first walked down the streets of San Diego and people are eating fish, tacos, and flip flops, they got no idea who he is. But that's <laughs> what I'm saying. I mean, four hundred million and a guy's turning down, what are you gonna do?
3: You, you can't, you can't, you can't do anything other than, you know, you gave your best shot at it. And I think at the end of the day, they did the right. They chose organization over,
2: yeah.
3: you know, going down to a, a, an agent's level of, uh, of fighting for his, his player, I believe, you know, I mean, because everyone's going to, again, everyone's going to fault. Scott Boris in this situation. It's like, I, 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 is what he's supposed to do is, is work and get the most he can for his player, right? And, and lead him to success too. So uh, I I thought overall it, it just sucks that it actually had to happen, but everyone did it right when it comes down to it at the end. If Juan had that opinion that he wants to do say, you know, stay out there and and, and look for more, that's his, that's his opinion. But the, the Nets in general, they gave uh, just an insane offer that he didn't take.
6: Now that you've been in the broadcasting business for a while and gotten away from time being a player, because obviously when you're a player, you have the views that you have as a guy in uniform. Once you start working for teams, being around teams, you may change, you may not. Where are you now when looking at the game of baseball? It can be finances, how teams are run, how it's changed from Franny the player to Franny now the broadcaster
3: uh, I'd say it's virtually the same I mean I, I, I still Gravitate towards those that work their butts off You know what I mean like In, in general when you're talking to guys it, it, it tends to be more towards the guys That you, you see respecting what they have um, So that that's there uh, The analytic world I get it, I understand it um, Doesn't mean I believe everything that it is but Guess what, all it is is info That's all it is It's just what you want to take and what you don't. That's it. That's it. So I I think I've I've changed on that, that end. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and and blast uh, people that are given these jobs that are are trying to, you know, better the team, better the franchise. Now I think some of the the spendings and building teams, I think all over baseball, I don't, I don't agree with, you know, because it's, it's hard. It's hard to watch sometimes. Um, The end of the day, I feel like I've morphed a little bit when it comes to that stuff, but I like, I just like, I like great baseball, no matter what. At the end of the day, we want to watch what makes our job easier. Even if you lose is the last like three weeks for us, we've played our butts off. These guys, like they might've given away one game, right? Where they just didn't have it. Where at the beginning part of the year, it seemed five times a week it was happening and it was just, Bad baseball, bad base running, bad, you know, mental mistakes all over the place that the, the coaches are hounding on them. Like, we got to correct this. we got to continue. And now you're starting to see when things start to click, whether it's a win or loss, the crispness of the game matters, right, like to us. And that's, I feel like, where everything I, I, I rested on, a, a win and loss as a player, obviously. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I, I lose sleep overnight, you know, uh, you know over a loss. Uh, so that that is a huge change. I got a lot more sleep. I feel like.
6: <laughs> well, I what what you're saying is so true, and it's what I try and say with the callers after the game. It's like if you're still calling up here in late August and complaining about wins and losses, like right. I, I get it in June, I get it in July. Now it's about trying to truly find guys. That can help you now and more importantly, right. help you get to where you want to get in the future. Sitting here hanging on every win and every loss in a sport that's played every day in late August heading to September, does nobody any good.
3: Right. And I mean, I could I bump it off you on this one is like the fact of the matter is like aren't we, we're here about the stories. You want to talk about guys that have gotten better. You don't want to talk about the guys that have regressed. You know, like at the end of the day, we don't want to talk. We don't want to bash anybody, but if it's there, it's there. I get it. It's on it. It's it's right there. It's low hanging fruit, but I don't know. Just watching the development like Kever Ruiz, right? Our catcher doesn't have a cannon. He reminds me so much of Benji behind the plate. Works his butt off. Smart understanding of, of the situations. Um, really, really taking onage with that with that staff and watching his growth from the beginning part of the year to the end. That has been awesome. And I tell that to him all the time because he's so willing and able to do so many things, Henry Blanco and him, have, have, have uh, spent so much time together. Um, but that's the fun stuff to talk about. Right. And it's not going out of the, I feel like there's so many people that Homer this game that you can't talk about the bad. Like, and I think it's BS, like you gotta talk about the bad. Yeah. They are so desensitized here. It's like, oh, you, you were talking bad about it. I was like, no, I wasn't talking about it. I'm like, this is mental mistakes. You can't have this. And uh, with k with guys like that, with guys like uh, Luis Garcia, who's had some severe growing pains when he was playing shortstop, um, you know, there's, there's a, lot, a lot to be asked there. But when it comes down to it, our bullpen, the back end of the bullpen, you're seeing the building of something back there, you're going, yeah, that's fun to talk about, right?
6: Now, I still go off on the postgame show because you got to have the ro- roller coaster ride. You just can't be all good. Yeah, do it, you it gotta can't gotta be do it. all good, can't be all bad, but you've got to take people on the ride. And what's interesting is that we used to say, all right, we stink, you stink. Well, let's see who stinks the most so we can get the first-round wow. pick. And that's not the case anymore. I was just reading it off how, it, you know, it's the Nats, the A's, and I think it was the Pirates. All have 16.5%. Then it goes down to like the Royals at 13.25, then a couple teams at seven. So the, 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 you know, back in, back where we live, remember, suck for Lux for Andrew Luck? That that doesn't, that doesn't exist anymore.
7: No.
3: And the other thing too is, uh, Strasburg and Harp would probably be the last two guarantees. number ones, right? Like where they never changed ever. Um, and you knew they were going to hit, you knew they were going to be great. We don't have that. So it's like, you want to suck all you want. Like it's a crap shooting baseball anyways. And those two generational type players came around once, let alone two years in a row to have the number one pick to get them both. You're not having that. So if you want to fight and, and go for that one pick, that's all, that's all you want to do. That's fine. But the other day still got to learn how to win, right? We're going to talk about wins and losses and, uh, If they're playing better, there's a better opportunity for them to win. And guess what? If they're the two or three pick, great. You know, is it going to change the franchise in one year? No, there's no Strauss. If there is a Strauss, if there is a Harper, I mean, I would be on here selling you. I am
6: losing and I don't care,
3: you know, but that's not the case. That's not the
5: case.
6: You, Strasburg, I, I get the whole thing. You win the World Series. He was a beast. He gets the contract. But at what point is everybody like, oh, my God. I mean, this is <laughs> $245 million or something around, around in that range. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that, that, tough. that's tough.
3: Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's been, uh, you know, especially for the franchise looking for, um, you know, quality leadership out of that uh, starting staff. Um, with Scherzer gone, I think they were hoping that that Steven would be able to be, uh, ready to go. Um, and unfortunately that, that thoracic outlet, uh, surgery is, is no joke. You know, it started for me, like with, uh, with Noah Lowry, you know, and it ripped him up completely. And he was having, he was on the upswing of a pretty damn good career. Right. And, And that was the first time I had heard about that, that surgery. And then it's not like Tommy John. Take out a rim, do all this stuff, he's got more. There's a lot of stuff that goes on with this whole thing. And for, for Steven, I feel for him. I mean, at the end of the day, you you earn that money, right? You earn that right to sign that contract. And your competitor, you want to pitch. And I, I that's where I feel for him, because he wants to pitch.
6: Yeah, it gets scary, you know, when you can't feel your fingertips. And as you mentioned, you can can go get a ligament and do the Tommy John. You can do it multiple times. And now you start talking about losing feeling and stuff like that. It is uh, really scary. Explain to our audience, you know, if if you weren't a kid and you weren't able to do the, the D.C. trip, And you've never been to Washington, D.C. It's such an international city because people are coming from all over the world. It's about government. It's a it's it's one of the great places if you've never been that you can go for a vacation. And a lot of the things that you can do are free. All the Smithsonian's, all the museums are free. It's 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 a you can get a tour of the White House. Contact your local congressperson. They'll get you into the tour of the Capitol building all free. I mean, this stuff's All all free. It's amazing. Just talk about what's like to live in our nation's capital, to broadcast, just just what that's like for a lot of people who have never been.
3: If I could put it into last night at like 730, uh, the fam they were here in town, and we went and, and saw Lincoln Memorial and, and the Washington Monument at, at sunset. And it is one of the craziest things. I mean, we, Amanda and I, my wife, we, we stood there just like going, seriously? Like through the reflection pool, you're looking at this whole thing. You're like, what? Like what is, what, everywhere you go, like I've described this to people at night after, after some of these losses at the beginning part of the year, you're, you're kind of like frustrated. You're just like going back. And then boom, Washington monument hits. It's all lit up and you're like, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> no, because it is, it is one of the most fascinating, uh, like just areas, everywhere you go. Uh, the architecture around here, uh, you know, I, I take the politics out of the whole thing because it always sucks anyways. So y- you look at the architecture around here, you look at the people, you look at the vibe that has been created by, I think a lot of this, especially around that, Matt's Park, around the Nationals, uh, it's special. It is a special place, and I, I think it gets a lot of. Uh, I think people are so like just think politics, politics, politics. With it, there's so much more about this place. The Food's incredible. Um, you got so many different pockets that you can go to around here. That whatever you want, you you, you could have uh, suburban life. You could have you know city life. You could have White House life. If you really want. You know, you go down that area. Um, everyone is is. Everyone is you is the best way I can describe it because you don't know where everyone's from. And most of the time it's from where you are, <laughs> you know, so there's a ton of Bay area people out here that we've seen, uh, you know, you can go be, you know, living in Philly for the last few years, you go around, there's people Philly there and it, it's a special place and it, it's been fun to be a part of it. Uh, not only as a player, but now as a broadcaster and and being able to, uh, show that life,
6: how much do you miss home San Jose? Uh, yeah,
3: all the time. I mean, it's home, you know, it's, uh, this year was a hard year in general, just, uh, you know, losing my dad. So I, when you say that I always go, yep, it's like crazy. So, uh, home's always going to be home, right? And that's where, where I always say home is. Uh, I have a home base now in, in in Jersey and and here in DC. So, um, yeah, I say I say a lot.
6: Yeah, I can't just imagine you in that orange chan, that orange tan on the Jersey Shore and a tank top and a chain on. I just don't see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's dude,
3: that's totally me.
6: No, Are you? Do you have Jersey. you gotten a Camaro yet? Jersey. While you're, have you been there? You got no, a no, Camaro no. See, or?
3: A... Like everyone, North Jersey is very Southern California-like. Friend, you know what I mean. You being the SoCal guy. You um, know,
6: I've been to Jersey a lot. I never got the sense I was in Southern California. South, South,
3: South, South Jersey. South Jersey is uh, very uh, Bay Area-like. That's the
7: way I like to describe it.
6: Well, if you keep telling yourself that, then uh, good Thank luck. You. And Thank by, you. I will. And by, I the, will. by the way, when we have that rain delay today, I'm going to think the exact same thing. This is like Southern California.
3: <laughs> you know what's crazy is that like <laughs> Amanda and I were always thinking, we're like, is, is one of our kids, are they going to have like a Jersey accent or something? <laughs> and Tenley last night, and Tenley last night at, at, at dinner was like, can you pass the Wooter? And we're like, wait, what? Did you just drop a Wooter? you dropped a water on us? She's like, yeah, water. Isn't that what it is? We're like water. It's oh, like, yes, God. water. Oh God. We're there. We're there. She's going to have the Jersey accent.
6: She's going to have a subscription to a tanning salon. It's like, it's going to be great. It's going to no. be great. It's going to be great. Be great. <laughs> Easy on that. <laughs> all right, buddy. We miss you. We'll be thinking about you. Oh, We're all man. getting together on Thursday night. Cause we got this day game. Um, For a little Spartan football, so we'll miss you on Thursday.
3: All
6: right, my friend. Be well. We're proud of you.
3: Uh, Appreciate it. Thanks, guys.
6: The great Kevin Franzen from D.C. Eric, how are you? I'm here. All right. Welcome to A's Cast Live. You're familiar with the athletics from your time in Northern California.
8: Absolutely, man. I love it. Love it. Miss it.
6: So, ha- first of all, let's talk about you before we get to Waldachuk. How are things down there in Southern California?
8: You know what? It's been great. Um, you're right. I enjoyed my time. I, my family and I loved it up there. We were up there for six years at St. Mary's College in Moraga and definitely miss our time in the Bay Area. We loved it. Um, but uh, this is an unbelievable opportunity, uh, you know, for me and my family. This is back home for us. We're from the San Gabriel Valley here in L.A. and oh, um, All right. You know, the tradition of, uh, you know, great players and coaches and teams that have uh, been part of Long Beach State is, is uh, first class and we love being here. So, yeah, thank you. It's been it's been great. I mean, obviously the challenges of COVID and my first year here when I left uh, Moraga in 20 was COVID year. So, oh. you know, it hit us. I've been here for three full seasons and it's been two, the, the first year of COVID, second year as well we got affected by COVID by not having a non-conference season uh, and only a conference season. And then, so last year was like, almost like our first uh, real full year. And so, yeah, it's been, but it's been going great.
6: Yeah. I'm a dinosaur. I played uh, in the big West for San Jose state when we were all in the same conference, Long Beach state, Fullerton, Fresno state. And mm-hmm. uh, many a times it battles with Long Beach and so much respect. Coach Snow was there at the time yep. years ago. And, You know, when I think about Southern California baseball, you know, everybody always thinks USC and UCLA because of football and, of course, UCLA with basketball. But when you think of all the great players, I mean, we just had Steven Rodriguez, who was at Pepperdine uh, as a head coach, then at Baylor, now at Texas, but one of the great players. The amount of talent that's gone through Southern California, you can even go south. I actually grew up in San Diego next to San Diego State. From a college standpoint, people just don't understand the amount of talent's insane down there that runs through these great programs.
8: Absolutely, and it's—I um, wouldn't say it's very difficult to recruit. I mean, there's so many good players everywhere, but yeah. especially here um, in Southern California. I think the challenge for us is finding the right fit, right—the guys that are right for this uh, for this place and want to want to be developed by this coaching staff and want to be part of this wonderful tradition and. And there's so much more to it, you know, when it comes to location and the school and the development and the coaches and all of that. But you're right. I mean, we don't have to go very far to find really good players and good talent. Um, but that's also the challenge, right? Because there's there's more to it than 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 the talent and the ability. We have to kind of dive into everything. And so we're blessed to be in uh, what I call the the you know the hotbed of, of baseball. That's for sure.
6: How has that COVID year? where high schools were shut down, so much was shut down. Uh, It had to change recruiting. It had to just change the kids overall. I I have teenagers in high school right now. Their lives were so dramatically changed, just not from their activities, but just their maturity and who they are as trying to become young adults. Just from a standpoint of baseball, and as I said, just not baseball these kids just in general how much did this ch- time change them and what have
8: you seen yeah for sure i mean it did it did a uh, it did a lot you know I, I would say good and bad i mean i think number one to have to go through um what you know us coaches and players and parents right all had to go through for these last few years you know i think it's really going to teach our boys and our you know our kids in general just you know, that life's not easy, you know, and that you have to make adjustments and you got to make some turns and that's okay. I think that's a big part of this thing. Um, But on the other side of things, I think it took away from some development time, you know, when you're talking specifically with baseball, you know, when you're not, you know, you don't have the ability to get in cages or to get on baseball fields and work out as a young kid when, you know, those years are crucial, you know, with some of these guys that are in high school, you know, I mean, um, I think that that could take a toll and we're seeing a little bit of that, but you know, then there were also those that found a way, right, that worked and, and had to, you know, do it in their garage or their backyard or whatever. I think from a college baseball side of things, I think it stung the recruiting a little bit, and, and it it made us have to um, get outside of our comfort zone as well because there's we couldn't get on the road, right? The N- NCAA shut us down where we couldn't go watch games. Nobody was playing, so a lot of it was video, and a lot of it was trusting, you know, obviously friends in the business that were either high school coaches, travel coaches, scouts, whatever, and so – you know, when you're making, uh, you know, big decisions on kids and you really, you know, haven't seen a ton of them or maybe even in person at all. You know, that's that's uh it's very it's very tense and, and you get nervous, you know, for sure.
6: When I think about Ken Waldachuk and him coming to Oakland, it's the land of opportunity. You can get stuck in the Yankee system and not get a chance coming here. It's the land of opportunity. So we're going to see him tomorrow in our nation's capital. Just how proud are you of him making his big league, big league debut? And what are we getting in this (laughs)
8: left-hander? Well, yes. I mean, I'm absolutely, truly, uh, excited. I mean, he reached out to me on Monday to let me know. And I mean, he just made my, uh, made my day. That's for sure. Um, you know, he's a great story. I mean, I don't know if anybody knows this, but you know, coming out of uh University High School in San Diego, he was no, he was I mean, nobody recruited him. He had no options at the Division 1 level and you know, we found out about him, about this big physical lefty that was, you know, a mid-80s guy that um that missed some bats, but he had some command issues and um and we actually got him, you know, as a as a non-scholarship walk-on. Wow. You know, and um and you know, I was telling a story yesterday. I mean, that's there's a difference between getting being able to get a walk on at St. Mary's versus you know a Long Beach State. I mean, it costs you know sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars to go to Long Beach State. At at St. Mary's, it's you're talking you know between fifty five and sixty thousand. So, I mean, it's 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 a big difference. So the fact that we were able to get him on campus for for no scholarship and he earned it, right? I mean, I I definitely give him scholarship down the road after his first year. He earned it for sure. And not only did he earn it as a you know, as a pitcher, you know, and as a player, but he earned it, uh, as the type of person and the type of student, um, that he was. And, and that's what did it because not only is he a special talent on the mound and, and how much better he got from high school through, you know, obviously through us at St. Mary's and then onto pro ball. But I mean, never had any issues with him academically, never had any issues with him being late to anything. And these guys have, it's a, it's a full-time job, you know, for these college student athletes. And, you know and then came from great parents and, and great family that that really you know that kind of let him be and let him grow up and let him go through some some tough times and and um you know we as coaches never heard a peep from the parents other than support and uh and that's always uh you know that's always nice as well but i'm so excited you're getting a a bulldog you know you're getting a guy that that i mean i mean oakland fans um you know should be absolutely excited um for Ken to be in this organization. He's a stud. I mean, he's a, he's a horse. Um, he's going to put up huge innings um, and he wants the ball, uh, you know, in the biggest situations, he makes that big pitch when it matters all the time, um, you know, and and um, he's just even kill. When you talk to him, you kind of get a little flustered because he, he, it almost seems like he's ignoring you or he doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> but It's not even that, you know, it's just not that that's just his personality He's really even kill. And, and that's how he is on the mound when it's, when it's going a little fast, you know, and there's guys on base and it's less than two outs and, you know, it's, it's maybe he's ball two and, you know, I mean, he's able to just control that emotion and be under control and be, you know, make big pitches when it matters. And, um, and that's what I love about him. He doesn't say much and that's okay. You know, that's all right. He talks with what he does on the mound and, and his work ethic and his character.
6: You know, one thing I've noticed in video from AAA, he recently struck out nine in a game, seven in a row. And I don't know if he had these same mechanics while pitching for you, but he really hides the ball way way behind him. And that is, that's something that is so special. Hiding the baseball, the less the hitter sees it, the less he knows what's coming. Has he always been like that, and what kind of weapon is that?
8: yeah you know what i was talking to my pitchers yesterday um you know obviously everybody is excited uh you know that that, um ken's there but i was talking to my own pitchers here and i was telling them i mean there's just those guys that have like a disappearing fastball ken has always had that where a lot of times in college we didn't have to throw anything other but you know then the fastball for a lot of innings in a row because they just couldn't square it up and you're right he hides the ball well he's big it has angle to it um You know when he pounds the when he pounds the zone. I mean he's very difficult to square up the hitters and you know and I would use this example and I said man I wish this happened to me when I was pitching. You know he would get a two zero count or a three one count and throw a fastball right down the middle and they would just swing and miss. You know where. You know, the pitchers were laughing. I was like, that never happened to me. If I had a 2 count and threw one down the middle, it was gone or hit for a double, you know. <laughs> he had that luxury, and that's what he had. He just has that disappearing fastball that, you know, when he – if he got behind or – it just made his fastball look like it was 100, you know, and it was in college, you know, anywhere from probably that 91 to 94 range. But, you know, I mean, it, it acted like an upper 90s fastball, you know. And and then, you know, I think little by little he started, you know, obviously learning how to how – to, you know pitch a little bit backwards when when he uh, when he needed to and and that's what we try to do with our guys and get them prepared for the next level is to be able to adapt to any situation right if they you know if they can pitch with their fastball great you know but they have to be able to, to pitch backwards when needed and pitch with their off speed it doesn't matter how hard you throw um, and I think our guys are able to do that and he's a great example of that is yeah he uses that fastball but now you know he could throw that curveball that slider that change up in any count and that's what makes his fastball even better.
6: I mean, you guys were creating a pitching factory out of St. Mary's. I mean, Corbin Burns, you think? I mean, it's just like when you had all these guys there at St. Mary's, did you, like, know and you could tell at that point, yeah, these guys are big league talent? Or did they mature into that?
8: No, I think all three of them have different stories, you know. But, you know, obviously they all were very talented and we were lucky to get them and have them. But – they all kind of have their different story, you know. Corbin, you know, first off, Corbin and Tony were both, you know, they were position players, you know, first in high school before they, you know, were pitchers. And so, you know, they were athletic, and that that makes a big difference when you're a pitcher, right? They had they yeah. were shortstops and, you know, so they were athletic kids but very raw on the mound. And so, you know, they worked really hard and, you know, I mean, Corbin had stuff, um, but he was also just a pitcher for us, so we had a lot of time to the three years he was with me to keep on improving every year and get better and focus his attention on that. Tony's story was different because he was our best hitter as well. And he hit in the three hole for us and he played right field for us. And, you know, the first year he closed for us, he would come in uh, from right field and close games and he'd be all dirty and have eye black on. And he would, uh, you know, he'd come in and just throw flame throwing fastballs by guys for an inning. And then he was good and he got a save. And then we put him in the starting rotation I mean, and just imagine that, right? I mean, 56 games and you know, 13 weeks or whatever it is, yeah. and and he's playing, you know, he's hitting at the top of our, you know, the three hole playing right field, and, and he's starting on the weekends, and so we had to manage that and manage his, you know, his arm, manage his body, and making sure we did those. So there were all kind of different paths, and then, you know, and then um, and then Ken comes in right after those guys because those guys they got drafted in 16 the same year, and then Ken came in as a freshman. That very next year in 17. And then he got drafted in 19. So they were back to back. And Ken was just just a different path. Now he's left-handed. He's big. He's physical. We got to get him in shape. We got to, you know, teach him how to pitch. And and um, you know, he's a guy that went from, you know, an 85, 86 guy in high school, and all of a sudden he's, you know, 91, 94, and he's commands a little, you know, we got to get him in the zone a little bit better and pitchability. And so, you know, they kind of all had their same story, but you know, I mean, the one common thing that they all had was they just had an unbelievable work ethic. And for as nice as all three of those guys are, you know, um, in person, um, and when you talk to them, when they're on the mound, they're they're pit bulls, man. They're they're just super competitors, and um, and that's what's what's pretty common with all those three.
6: You know, I think about Tony going the on the IL right now. Still, definitely has a chance to win the Cy Young in the National League. And when you talk about a two-way player. Our own manager, who I got to play against in college, Mark Kotze, who's one of the great college players of all time, you know, you just think if he would have got that opportunity to be a two-way guy because you draft a guy and you go, nope, you're hitting or you're pitching, and now with Shohei Otani doing what he's doing, do you think maybe possibly we will have teams be more open to allow a guy, say, hey, let's see, can you pitch, can you hit, let's see if you can do both?
8: yeah i think so i mean there's a way i mean i think we've been really successful with two-way guys way back to i mean my the days with uh with richo at university of san diego um but there's a you have to be able to manage it correctly and that's the tough thing is you know especially at the college level and obviously at the pro level too but in college i mean you know when you're practicing you know five or six days a week and you're lifting weights and you're conditioning and you're, you got your throwing program and you're going to class every day. And when do you eat all these things? They, you know, it's tough enough for, a, for, a, for just a normal student, you know, but when you're a student athlete and then on top of that, you're a two way player and one that is like a legit two way player, it's very difficult to manage and you have to have uh you know, you have to kind of know how to do it and you have experience with it. So yes, it absolutely is possible because a lot of these kids are super athletes. I mean, you look at now compared to 15 years ago, man, these kids are just, uh, um, I mean, they're superior athletes, but the other part of it is there's a lot more POs now, right? Pitchers only now than there was in the past too, right? There's, you know, these guys have been pitching only since they were eight years old versus, you know, playing other sports and, and, um, you know, playing the infield outfield and pitching, you know, doing those things. So, but yes, I mean, I love it. I mean, it's right. You go watch Shohei, and that's pretty, pretty exciting. And, um, um, and yeah, before they took the, you know, the DH thing and some of those hitters, you could, some of those pitchers, you could tell they swung the bat before, you know?
6: Well, enough of this baseball, Baseball's soft. We all know it. Let's talk boxing. What is this? You were a golden glove boxer.
8: <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not it. <laughs> I boxed when I was young, but, but uh, no. So I come from a boxing background. We're four decades. Uh, my, my grandpa Um, he boxed and and professionally and then uh, owned a gym and train fighters for a lot of years. And then my dad took it over and now, you know, he's into his 43rd year, I believe. And, you know, he's he's had world champions and was a national USA national coach for years and years. And, um, and then I, you know, he had a different path for me. I boxed young, and then said, "Hey, this is uh, you know, I want you to be a baseball player and do that." And then, uh, and then now my son. So I have twin boys. They're twelve years old, and they're boxing competitive. They play baseball as well, but they're they box competitively as well. And so it's just in my blood, man. And uh, I love it. It's you know, guys have hobbies, right? They golf and they have other hobbies outside <laughs> of their their work. Mine is boxing, man. Mine is uh, I, yeah. I just I'm a boxing historian. It's in my blood. I love it to death. I mean, you look at my. Look at my, you know, my background out here. It's in my office at Blair Field, and it's all boxing posters. And, you know, I think it just gives our, you know, for me, you know, you kind of push that mentality on our players and on our team, and it kind of just gives you that, gives us that extra little edge. And the little. we're a little bit different and a little bit more crazy than everybody else, so.
6: One well, of the best lines ever is Mike Tyson saying everybody has a game plan until they get hit in the face, and it's so true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's something about I wish boxing was more like it when we were kids because a big prize fight was the biggest thing. Nothing was better. But there's so many things that boxing can teach you. And, number one, I think football does this too. Hockey can do it for baseball players is that is that toughness. This isn't mm-hmm. easy. you got to be tough to be successful.
8: Yep. I agree. And and I always talk about the preparation. You know, I always talk about, I talk to our guys and I ask them this question, okay, when you're not prepared as a baseball player, what's the worst thing that can happen? And, you know, they'll say, well, you know, as a pitcher, you get ripped, right. Or as a hitter, you strike out or, you know, you go for four. And I said, exactly. I said, but as a boxer, if you're not prepared, tell me what can happen as a boxer. You know what I mean? If you're not truly prepared, you know, you could, break your nose. You can get, I mean, concussions, you know, I mean, it's, it's a way worse outcome physically. And so the level of preparation has to be like a boxer, right? I mean, they're fighting for their lives and and they can't take a day off and they have to give it all they got and they have to be absolutely prepared. And so that's kind of the mentality we use with our guys. And, and uh, you know, I think they feed it and and they love it.
6: Let's end on this because love the college game, love college baseball. Are you worried about all these decisions being made in sports uh, that are about college football, OU and Texas going into the SEC, UCLA, USC going into the big 10. Now we're hearing, you know, it could be Washington, Oregon, who knows what it's going to be like, but it's going to affect all the other sports also. Are you worried about that?
8: No, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm worried for, you know, if something were to happen, you know, negative to, you know, any college sports or teams, and that's going to limit student athletes from having opportunities. Yes, of course, but no, I'm not. I mean, I, I think now more than ever, when you're talking about specifically college baseball, I mean, it's as popular as popular can be. I mean, it really is. And, and, you know, the path to the big leagues and, and I mean, colleges, it just seems like the way to go, you know, and, and now the coverage on TV and, I mean, um, yes, I mean, it's, you know, the the stadiums and, you know, sometimes the fan coverage, you know, from other places outside of Southern California or on the West Coast might be a little big, but I mean, there's, you can't, um, you know, get away from the fact that, I mean, West Coast, California, Northern, Southern, you know, Central California, this is, uh, you know, this is it. The hotbed of baseball. I'm truly excited to be here. And, you know, am I concerned? No, I think, I think college sports, I mean, there are some things, you know, when it comes to pay and all that kind of stuff, that, you know, is probably for a different, uh, different time. But, but no, I think um, for our sport specifically, I mean this is as good as, it, as it's been and, and as much coverage as it's been. And it's pretty exciting. And I'm just glad to be part of this thing right now.
6: Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And I know you're going to be proud tomorrow. It's going to be very special for you. So enjoy his debut and uh, have a good rest of the fall and good luck next season.
8: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.
6: Sean, are you back? Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. You back? I'm back, baby. Yeah, so I was just asking, how you doing health-wise? What's going on with you with, in the Nats?
7: I'm doing great, man. Uh, I appreciate you asking. I, I had uh, elbow surgery uh, about five weeks ago, um, and so far, recovery's going really, really good. Um, the training staff here, the medical team, has been taking great care of me, and uh, there's a really, really good chance I'm ready for spring training next year, so... Um, you know, at my age, it might not be the worst thing in the world to take a year off, get the body right, get a new elbow, and uh, be ready to rock and roll for a few more here down the stretch. So um, it, as far as the team goes, it's, it's been a bit of a tough year, man. Um, you know, we're in, we're in a bit of a uh, transitional stage. Um, you know, that, that World Series team, um, you know, obviously is no longer here and, and traded Soto. Um, but you can start to see, you can start to see a really exciting core of, of young guys that that are, you know, starting to get regular playing time and take advantage of that opportunity. So um, we have an awesome group, man, and and um, you know you can start to see that there there's a bright future here.
6: I like to hear that because I thought, you know, when you guys were going through that process of winning the World Series, there was so many different former A's that we were so rooting for you guys. It was a, ama- <laughs> I mean, I mean, God, we're having Chip Hale on all the time, you know, Kurt Suzuki, you. I mean, it, it was it was a lot of fun to watch, and baseball in D.C. just looked fantastic. So, for where you are in your career to have another shot at it especially the haul that you guys got from the Padres and that could be exciting not too far down the road here
7: yeah i mean it, baseball's weird right it can be it can be very cyclical um you know and and the the organization here in, in with the Nationals uh we definitely went uh we definitely went all in and we went for it um you know to try to win a world series and Um, You know, now we're in the we're in the process of, you know, rebuilding and and getting back to that standpoint and um, the young talent that we got like we we, like C.J. Abrams is here. He's he was one of the the guys we got from San Diego young shortstop. Um, And uh, man, he is fun to watch. He's silky smooth defensively. He absolutely flies on the bases. you know, like he's one of the guys, you know, uh, K-Bert Ruiz, the, the guy, we, kid we got behind the plate, who we got from the Dodgers in the, in the Scherzer and Turner deal. Um, I mean, switch hit and catcher, um, has an absolute rifle behind the plate. Um, young kid, he, he really wants to learn and, and, and get better at handling the pitching staff. Uh, Josiah Gray, who also came over in that trade, um, I mean, he's. He, I mean, he has a chance to be really, really special on the mound. He's an awesome kid. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's it, it's a transition period for us. Um, you know, teams go through it. You know, all across the league. And but you can start to see, man, the the, the future here is bright. So, looking at your surgery,
6: you didn't have full Tommy John, correct?
7: Correct. I was very lucky and I was able to avoid a full Tommy John reconstruction. I, I got a procedure done that's called um, an internal brace. Um, so based on, based on where the tear was in the UCL um, and um, the fact that it wasn't a full tear, um, it was a very significant partial tear, um, but it wasn't clean all the way through, I was a candidate for this procedure and it's a relatively new procedure, um, but it's it's about half the time of a Tommy John recovery. Wow. Um, if a Tommy John's taken anywhere from 12 to 16 months, this is more of a five to seven month recovery window, and that puts me in a really good spot to be ready to rock and roll for camp in, in February. That is great
6: news, because you know I, I think about your your terrific career, being an all star, a world champion. Where we are in baseball, we need more relievers than ever before. I mean, you get a new arm. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how you want to play, how long you want to play. But if you get a new arm there and you're left-handed, I mean, you could be in this game a long time.
7: <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, man. I've never been. I've never been afraid to wear out my welcome, you know, <laughs> um, I've never been good at like knowing like when it's time to leave, uh, whether it's like a party or anything else. Um, but I'm thinking like, you know, I'm 35 right now. Like this gives me a year to get my body right. This yeah. gives me a year to, to really, you know, have a new elbow. Uh, and, um, you know, I still have the energy and the passion to put the work in on a daily basis to do the off season routines and, and keep my body in good shape and um you know I still have a ton of fun coming to the yard every day so um you know I'm really hoping this buys me you know a little bit more on the back end and um you never know um but uh, it was something I was gonna have to get fixed um if I was gonna have a chance so I'm doing everything I can and, and I'm having fun doing it so um you know fingers crossed
6: as they said in Moneyball, sounds like an Oakland, a- Oakland athletic already. I could see you back here pitching for the green and gold.
7: You kidding me? Hey, man, I'll tell you what. Like, There's one thing I know. that The game has a, uh, a, a weird way of, of working itself working out like that. You never know, man. I was, I was so happy to, to be able to come back, even though I was coming back as a visiting player last year when I was at Seattle. Um, cause I mean, that was the first time I I've been back there since I got traded. Um, so, I mean, you never know. And, um, you know, it, who knows what will happen, but, um, you know, I'm just going to do everything I can to, to keep playing. And it's given me almost a new appreciation for the game. Um, a new passion for the game when, when it gets taken away from you because of injury, sometimes you, you reevaluate and you remember, you know, really how special this opportunity is to, to play major league baseball and I want to do it for as long as I can. So I'm going to get my body right and see what happens.
6: And also a key with keep playing for you and your wife and all the great work that you guys do. It also still helps that you're in uniform. Wouldn't you say to be able to do the (laughs) things that you do, right?
7: Yeah, man. You know how it goes. Like when you're not playing anymore, like, you know, people aren't asking for your autograph. They're not asking for your time and stuff like the game you know, it, it, it passes you by a little bit for sure. And, um, you know, but, but to me, like, that's all part of this experience, right? Like I I want to get every part of the experience of being a major league baseball player. You know, I want every bit of that, that I can, I want to soak it all up. I want to do as much as I can while I have this opportunity. So, um, for me, like it's, it's, it's all tied together and, um, You know, I love doing it. It's super rewarding. Um, We've had a blast. And, uh, you know, like I said, I think both of us, my wife and I, I don't think she's ready for me to be around the house full time yet either. (laughs) Uh, So I think we want to keep it going as long as we can, man.
6: So in this time where you're able to not only throw again, rehab, feel good, how do you think this time will help you in – Creating or refining your secondary pitches.
7: I think. Well, the one the one good thing about the the little bit I pitched in the beginning of this year, I I, I did pitch in five games right at the beginning of the season after uh, after camp and uh, in April. Um, the, the breaking ball that I worked really hard on in the off season um, was really really effective, um, and it opened up it opened up the fastball. Um, so much. It, it made, made things a lot easier, um, you know, trying to sequence pitches and put a game plan together. Um, so I know it's in there now. Um, and I know, you know, kind of what the cues are for me and things I need to uh, focus on and think about when I'm trying to execute a breaking ball. Um, so, you know, so that's good. I know that's that's in there somewhere. Um, but I, I mean, this, this time, you know, I've been, I've been trying to help any way I can, right, behind the scenes. And, and, um, I sit in the, uh, during the, the home games, I sit in the dugout. I got, I got the dugout iPad, um, next to me all the time. And I'm, I'm looking at, at our pitchers and the way that, that they're moving down the mound, what, what they might look like mechanically, um, what they're, what sequences they're trying to execute, you know, from a, from a game plan standpoint. And I'm trying to give these guys feedback and, um, you know, so like I, I, think that keeps the, the, the pitching part of my brain. It keeps it very active, and and the more conversations I have with, with our guys about it, you know, I'm constantly learning new things, uh, from them as well. So it's absolutely a give and take, and it, and it's given me some, some ideas to, think about and some stuff I, that I think I might want to try when I get to, you know, pick up a ball in October and start throwing again.
6: You know, you, you have so much knowledge about this game from a standpoint of your career I don't know how much you've thought about this but you know coming up as a top prospect and a hitter and a first baseman then a pitcher and a world champion and an all-star we've had this conversation with Stephen Vogt about whenever that time is you know you can do a lot of different things broadcasting there's business, there's all these different things, but there also is still the love of this game and staying in the game, coaching, managing. So I think about your path and everything you could offer from a hitting standpoint, a player st- position player standpoint, a pitching standpoint. Have you thought about life after baseball and maybe staying in uniform?
7: Absolutely. I, I, I think just based on you mentioned a lot of the good things about my career some of the cool things that I've been able to be a part of and accomplish. but there's also been a lot of times where I was on the injured list. Um, there've been times that, you know, where I've been, I haven't performed well and I got designated for assignment. There's been, there's been ups and downs throughout the whole process. And when you're in those downs, sometimes it, you reflect a little bit and you think about, um, maybe some other ways that you could stay in or around the game. And, um, Shoot, man! If if vote if vote is gonna manage, um, I would you know, drop whatever I'm doing. Um, if he ever wants a pitching coach or a bullpen coach or, um, you know, some kind of uh, assistant, um, I would do whatever. Uh, he he asked if if uh, if he was calling. Um, but uh, I really don't know, man. I I'm I would love to be able to stay involved with the game in some capacity. Um, but beyond that I haven't given it a ton of specific thought into what that would do. I, I think I could slide into a couple of different roles and and um, but I don't know I, I'm very passionate about this game and, and it's it taught me so much about myself and about life that I, I would love to be able to to pass that on and, and you know uh, pay it forward.
6: I don't think A's fans could handle that. Wherever you and vote would go, everybody would be like, Stephen votes the manager and Dew is the pitching coach?
7: That would be, I mean,
6: come on. That would be incredible. You know what? Next homestand, I'm going to play him this audio and see if we can get that rolling. And when you talked about dealing with adversity, yeah, I mean, for years on my talk show, well before we'd ever met you, we had you penciled in as the future first baseman for the A's.
7: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I mean, man. Baseball has a weird way of working itself out sometimes and bringing things full circle. Like you never know, man, it it, it teaches you to be flexible and it teaches you to adapt and, and uh, you know, it teaches you to be humble. Um, It teaches you humility. Um, So I've gotten a heavy dose of a lot of those things. I think it's changed my perspective on a lot and um, you know, thinking about the future. Like I, I I think those are all things that, that I could, help teach guys um you know on top of some of the baseball stuff so um yeah i I absolutely love you know when i'm working with our guys here we have a young group that they're hungry they want to learn um uh i did get my 10 years of service time this earlier this year so they have to listen to me when i talk now which (laughs) is nice um so um so I, I love that part of it. It's, it. it's been a huge help for me, too, during this rehab process to be able to stay involved with them as well. So I guess it's not completely selfless, but um, I, I just I, I, I have a passion for it, and, and I love uh, sharing that with other people.
6: Well, I'll tell you what, because of your gratitude, your humility, your love for people, all the stuff that's been tough turned into gold for you and a great career. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, you, you are, when we think of all the different great people that have come through Oakland, salt of the earth, what, what, what you have done for so many different people out of your own love and heart is the reason why you've had this great career and you're going to keep having it. And we just want to say thank you for stopping by. Uh, I love the idea of bringing you back in the green and gold. But until then, we'll be rooting for you <laughs> with the Nationals. Be well. Tell your wife we said hello. And uh, take care. And can't wait to talk to you next time.
7: That's awesome. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate you having me on. It's good talking to you again. See you, buddy. The great Sean Doolittle. What
6: happened today in the street? So they have Sweeney, Tucker,
3: and Nordaz on the right side, and Perez playing at shortstop, and over now at third base is Alicea, and Miguel Tejada is up for the A's. And wouldn't this be fitting? And the MVP chant one out, bases loaded. Two outfielders, Ibanez and Beltran playing shallow. Five infielders, one out, ninth inning, and a 6 6 tie.
8: Grimsley ready. He deals.
3: And it's a line drive base in center field. Greg Byers scores from third. Tejada wins another ball game. Nineteen straight for the Athletics. They've tied the all-time American League record.
4: There's a lot of cheering I left it in here for Ah, theater of the mind setting setting the stage
3: the 1906 White Sox the 1947 New York Yankees have company and if that isn't another MVP statement by Miguel Tejada I don't know what is he is amazing the A's are
6: amazing
0: 19 in a row
6: 19 in a row I mean, you think about that, right? At that point, you're like, wow. And then the next game, you're cruising. You're absolutely cruising. You got Tim Hudson. Recently, we had all the guys with the season ticket holders. It was a great event. And Art Howe admitted, yeah, my fault. I thought this game was in the bag. And, of course, it would lead to one of the greatest home runs of all time. Scott Hatterberg is with us here on A's Cast Live once again. We're just playing that cut, and, you know, I'm glad Miguel Tejada came back. It's his first time coming back as an Oakland A, not as a someone of, like, the Baltimore Orioles or the Royals. He came back finally just to be Miguel Tejada, the Oakland A. And what he really means to the fan base and the franchise, and I got a sense, and I know you got to talk with your teammate what it meant for him to come back, and we could celebrate him as truly one of the great A's. I don't know if you got to hear the entire cup, but that was him with the game winner nineteen. He was huge for you guys down that stretch of the win streak.
0: Uh, he carried us. He carried us there for. I mean, it seemed like the whole last week. It was just. It was the Miggy, and then the rest of us. So uh, yeah, he put us on his shoulders. It was great to see him back. The guy's such a humble guy. Um, you know, he doesn't come across as that you know all-star MVP guy. He's just a great teammate. Uh, he was thrilled to be back. We were thrilled to see him. Yeah. Uh, gosh, and he looked freaking physically <laughs> cut. I mean, the guy, he still looked like he could play. He was gonna throw out the first pitch, and they say, "Hey, you're gonna catch it," and I want to catch it. This guy might throw a bullet at me. Anyway, he looked great. It was great catching up, but it. it was a great weekend.
6: Yeah, it was kind of like, hey, Miggy, uh, you think? I mean, shortstop, maybe no. Can you play second base? Could we DH you? I mean, can you still? I mean, he looked phenomenal.
0: (laughs) He really did. He really did. And I guarantee if you put him in the box, he put together a pretty good A.B.
6: You know, I I, I think about that weekend and just seeing you guys, because it's so different. We've done so much with the 70s teams that won Mm -hmm. 72, 73, 74, and we've lost so many of them. And these guys, you know, it was such a long time ago. For you guys, 20 years isn't that long, but it is time that you've been away and a chance to truly appreciate what you guys accomplished. Of course, it was an unbelievable year winning the American League West. But now that you've experienced that, what was it like hanging out with these guys? Because you mean so much to each other.
0: Well, you... Uh, you um... You get back together, and you know you haven't seen guys in a long time, but really good teams and really good, you know, locker rooms. You seem to kind of just fall right back into the same jokes, the same the same rhythms, and it's exactly what happens. We've gotten together a couple times, I think, at, at the ten year and whatnot, but man, you just go straight back in. You're just transported right back into the locker room. It's a really tight knit group. I think you guys had mentioned earlier talking about the we were we were talking to the season ticket holders. Yeah. It just felt seamless. I I knew everybody. I knew when DJ got the mic, he wasn't going to let go for a while. And I knew the stories and there's great rhythm people jumping on. Um, there was just great chemistry. And I know it's so cliche to say that's what it takes, but honestly, I was in a lot of locker rooms. I played 14 years and there was none that came close to the ones that I had in Oakland and especially that team. So, uh, there's something to it. I know it was a big part of, you know, how we were able to accomplish what we were able to accomplish.
6: I think this weekend was really big for Art Howe. There was a lot of emotion, and obviously the movie that everybody loves, and of course you're, you're so prominent in the movie, but Art, the way he was portrayed, it, it definitely hurts him. And I did an interview with him after we did the event. I did an interview with him where he broke down and had tears when I was asking him about what does this mean to come back and get the love from the A's fans because A's fans truly love him he got tears and choked up just talk about what this weekend meant for Art Howe and truly getting his due that he deserves
0: no I love that question it's the one thing listen Hollywood's gonna make a movie they're gonna put they're gonna put some they're gonna have a you gotta have a Darth Vader in the movie right I mean you gotta so this is the hot sauce they put on it. And, and he, he was the guy. And he was just not that guy. And he is, if you know Art at all, he is—he was really, for us, the ballast to that team. I mean, he was so calm. Uh, I know him and Billy had a little bit of a turbulent thing, but we knew, I didn't know it until really the stories came out. He hit it. He protected us. Uh, the guy is just as even keel, as classy, as pro as they get. And, you know, he's a big reason we were able to you know, maintain a streak like that. I mean, I I can't say enough good things about the guy. And that's just the baseball side. Outside of the uniform, the guy is just the most pure, great guy. Uh, I can't say enough good things about him. And he really kind of got hosed as far as his depiction. And he would never come out and say anything to just ruffle feathers, you know, and ended up being a great movie for the A's, but he would never take it selfishly. So I love that he got out and I think people realize, you know, this is a great guy. It's a, It was a poor depiction for sure.
6: Yeah, great story. Clay Wood told me that after 2001 that, you know, everybody votes, that everybody gets whatever for the playoff money in their shares and that they left out the the grounds crew. And Art Howe took a check and wrote the money out that should have been the grounds crew uh, their share out of his own pocket and gave it to Clay Wood and told Clay, disperse this, and I'm sorry, it will never happen again. The guy took money out of his pocket to take care of the grounds crew when the players should have done that, and he and he made sure it never happened again. That tells you the type of man and the integrity that Art Howe has.
0: I mean, that's perfect. I, I didn't even know that. I mean, that story is perfect. That defines the guy, uh, you know, he – He's the manager, but, you know, he never put himself above anybody. He was, he was a teammate. Um, anyway, we're lucky to have a guy like that in just the A's history, and I'm lucky to have known him. So uh, I love hearing that story. That's a great story.
6: All right. In the movie, you got Billy Bean, you got Wash in your living room trying to convince you on something. what really happened, and did you ever buy that yes from a catcher to first base?
0: Well, yeah, they never showed up in my living room. Uh, <laughs> that's one thing. I, I felt like he was in my living room. He called me, I remember, on Christmas Eve. And, uh, you know, he's a, big, he's a big personality. So I felt like he was there. Uh, I think Wash was home definitely. Uh, not knowing what he was in store for, uh, trying to teach me how to play first base. But I thought, man, I have caught my whole life. I haven't picked up a ground ball ever. Um, and now this crazy guy wants to give me every day at bats and replace the MVP of the American league, Jason Giambi. I thought he was crazy, but I thought before he uh, sobers up, maybe just say yes. And I did. Um, You know, and after that, I just had a lot of sleepless nights going, how am I going to pick up ground balls? I actually had my wife hitting me (laughs) balls on a tennis court, not too far from the house, which had pine cones all over it. I couldn't even feel those. Uh, And then I ended up spending a lot of time with wash, but Wow, I did not think uh, what was going to happen happened.
6: Well, and then the story you told to the season ticket holders, which I was like, wow, is the bat, right? Because you hit this home run, it's a historic achievement, and you know anything that has anything with history, they're putting a sticker on it and they're sending it to Cooperstown. Well, you've got a bat sponsor, and you're hitting a historic home run with the bat that's not sponsored. That's unbelievable. That's a whole other story. A lot of people don't know.
0: It, it, listen, it was a desperate situation. Some garage company had come by about a week prior. It was the most beautiful bat I've seen. I used it in BP. The ball jumped off of it. I thought this is a no-win situation. I've taken every single bat of my life uh, had been with a Louisville Slugger, and this one time, I take this <laughs> this bat to the plate and hit the biggest home run of my life. Oh uh, man, when that, when we celebrated in the locker room and that guy tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Hey, Scott, I had a nice job. I'm so-and-so from uh, Cooperstown, the hall of fame. And I'd like that bat. And I said, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and I handed that man a Louisville slugger. And uh, I told that story to Michael Lewis and it ended up in the book. And um, <laughs> uh, Cooperstown didn't like that. And they sent that, they sent that bat back to me with a sturdy word letter.
6: Oh, that is that. It's funny. It really is funny. But uh, thank God you did change that bat. Now, I mean, you've been asked about it so many times. You've seen it. We play the we play the highlight all the time. TV plays the cut. I mean, it's such a special moment in baseball history. Just not in A's history. Baseball history. It's an iconic moment. I mean, when you look back, do you ever get a chance to just go, "Wow, I did that."
0: Well, it's surreal, it's surreal to be kind of the, you know, the, the end of it, or, you know, the climactic part of it, um, having, you know, and it's, I can you know, I look at it and just, I mean, the, 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 the bat was a blur, and for it to go out, I, I, you know, I don't know, it was just such a great moment, but it was such a great month, I mean, it was, this is like, it was like three weeks of us of us doing this and it was it just built and built and built and some of those last few games there were so many people in the, in the Coliseum and you know Mickey came through I think you guys are playing a few of them yeah uh, you know there's some dramatic stuff leading up to it uh, you know we didn't really even know what the streak was until late nobody you know really heard of a you know winning streak so uh, it was a great moment I look at it you know with a ton of pride but it was such a group pride thing too that uh, I get a little more credit, I think, than I deserve uh, just because of the way it ended. But, man, it was a great team effort for, geez, almost a month.
6: Well, and think about it. This game's a blowout, right? I was actually I, – I was doing morning radio uh, on the sports radio station, so I had to get up early. It was a blowout. I went to bed. I didn't even get to see it live. It wasn't until I woke up like 3.30 in the morning and knew what happened. I mean, this, this game was a laugher, so I'm thinking about for you – you're never probably first X amount of innings, first couple hours of the game, even preparing yourself mentally for this. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, the Royals have come back and now you gotta be the hero.
0: It was it was one of those swings of emotion that it's hard to describe. I mean, we we did it. We had all I mean, if you look at that Coliseum, I remember there was there was fans and all those center field bleachers. I mean, they were everywhere. The place was rocking, the number was up. We had Huddy on the mound. We had an 11-0 lead. And the lowly royals weren't going to take it from us. And I'm drinking crappy coffee. We had, I think, the September collops were up there. You know, and I'm, you know, shooting the breeze to all these new guys. And we were going to coast to this and, you know, dump some champagne on somebody. And, gosh, smash cut to me up in our crappy, dingy cage with Greg Myers, watching this stupid little dusty TV we have up there just watching it unfold and everything get quiet and going, Oh my gosh, we're going to lose this and I'm going to have to go pinch it. And against, you know, it's just a no win closer in Grimsley. So it, the emotion swing was just, it was something I've never experienced <laughs> for sure.
6: And then you talked about, I mean, at that point, Grimsley's nasty.
0: Oh my gosh, he's nasty. And I'd faced this guy a lot before and he's, You know, he's yoked up, steroids, not sure, but he sure looked like it. I mean, 98-mile-an-hour bowling ball sinkers. How am I supposed to hit a ball in the air off this guy? I mean, I I just remember thinking to myself, listen, let's just have a – got to have some kind of plan going out there other than taking, you know, Thunderbolt the bat or whatever that (laughs) freaking bat was that I had.
7: Roy
6: Hobbs.
0: Yeah, right. I had to do something other than that stupid thing, but – I just wanted to get a ball up in the zone and the first pitch was a big power sinker ball one. And I thought, Oh yeah, it moves even more, uh, than I remember. And I just thought, okay, see it up. It's up, try to get a, maybe a double, get a guy in scoring position. And you know, when you, I got a pitch up and I was on time and this, that pure feeling, I don't know if you felt it in baseball or golf, when it's just like, you don't feel anything ball jumps, the place goes crazy. It was an out-of-body experience. And I ran around the bases, with zero poise. Um, it was uh, an, an amazing celebration, and it's just kind of a blur of a moment. But, my gosh, yeah. I'm getting chills thinking about
6: it. Yeah, and, and I think about your career and where we are today, especially with the A's. Now that you're working in the front office, to where, you know, we've got 8,000 catchers that we've drafted and traded for, and the only one plays – and I don't yeah. like to see young guys dh in a ton because that's not good for them. I don't think mentally that's good for them. And we had Langoliers on this program. I said, hey, where else can you play? We've had his college coach on from Baylor. He's played some outfield. Langoliers thinks he could play some first and some third. You know, if, if Susak's going to hit, you know, the first-round pick and he's coming up quick, got to find a spot for him if Murph's going to be behind the dish. I mean, you kind of showed, as you said. I've played catcher my whole life. Well, guess what? We need your bat. You've got to find somewhere else to play, and wouldn't you say versatility is so huge for these young guys? Whether you've played catcher your whole life or you've played short or right field, it's important for these guys to learn to play other positions. I, I think it's a
0: great point, and I think I, I think uh, more than 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 doing it is being open minded to doing it. I mean, this is the situation. You know, you get in the draft room, and you you don't really. Uh, draft for need so much as you draft for the best talent that is at your pick. And, and it just so happens. I mean, we've had, we've had, we haven't had a good catcher for a long time. And then we get Murph who may be the best in the game. And uh, now we got Langoliers, like you said, Soderstrom and Susack. I mean, it is a logjam, but it's a great logjam. Um, the versatility part's huge. I, I think that, you know, if you can catch, there's certain positions you can go figure out. Uh, Shea is such a blue-collar, awesome kid. I loved him at Baylor. So thrilled to have him. Uh, the one thing about the A's is, you know, certain guys like Murph, they get real expensive, and we have a hard time keeping some of those guys. So there's some poker chip kind of uh, sensibilities with all of this. So that's part of it. But, uh, man, I, I'm lucky, but I'm with you. I don't like seeing a really good player like that, just DHing. Uh I'd love to see him wearing the leather somewhere.
6: You know, I, I, and let's end on this, and we always appreciate your time. I mean, obviously, you're etched in A's history forever. So whatever you want to do, I mean, you were great on television. You've now worked with Billy for years. You know, when you think about looking forward long-term for you, what do you want out of your baseball life?
0: Wow, good question. Tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, I played a long time and, and, you know, while playing, you know, they, you're gone a lot. And that's, a, I mean, 10 months of the year, you're on the road. I've been really fortunate uh, to be a part of this organization, which there was no as to where I wanted to be. And Bill was so, uh, you know, op- open about me doing a lot of things. And I have done a lot of things. I've done the player development, the coaching side, and, and uh, the scouting side has been really interesting. And I love it. Uh, I have a, I have one more kid. Um, who's actually playing soccer at University of Arizona. She's a freshman. So I kind of got to push off a little bit of the really dipping, uh, jumping in the water uh, completely as far as uh, immersing myself in the whole front office thing. I want to be away a little bit and support some of that, see some of those soccer games. But I don't know. I like a lot of things. I don't know exact, exactly what direction I would love to go, but I just know one thing. I want to be in the green and gold. Anything, anything doing that with them is great, perfect for me.
6: Well, whatever you want to do, you can do it. Hey, may, maybe maybe we get an all fly fishing team, and you can now lead the fly.
0: Talk. Okay, you're on the Christmas list. I like that.
6: <laughs> We'll go to Dave Cavill and said, "Hey, we're going to start competing in fly fishing. We got. Hey, we we can put a team together. I know Billy can do it. I know you got I me. Mean, maybe we put a okay. team together.
0: Oh, we got a team. You okay? Now <laughs> you got my the wheels are running. I got it. I'm on it.
6: Hey, thank you so much for your time. We always true appreciate. We always do appreciate when you come on A's Cast Live and to to celebrate this moment. It meant so much. It meant so much to you guys. It meant so much to the fans. That team is just such a special team for for Oakland A's fans. It's just we all felt it, and I'm glad that you guys all got together. It was really cool stuff.
0: Huge proud moment for us. Uh, we are we love Oakland. You could tell by the turnout. I mean, gosh, how many guys showed up for that yeah. thing? Um, that, yeah, no. Well, I, I know it meant a lot to them, but it meant double to us. So we're proud to be uh, part of the Oakland Nation, and I appreciate you guys having me on.
6: Take care, and you be well. Be well, guys. The great Scott Hatterberg joined us here on A's Cast Live. When you showed up here, I'll never forget. You were a star coming in. Uh, you'd been in so many big games, a World Series champion. You mentioned it earlier in this event, when you came here, you realized, wow, this is a good young team that's got a chance.
1: Yeah, I told you, I mean, when I was in spring training, and I'm looking around because I, I knew this was probably gonna be my last year. And I see the young pitching staff we had. And I see the young T Long and Ike, he's, he's an outfielder, so we spent a lot of time together as outfielders. And I'm just looking around. I'm like, man, these guys remind me of the young Braves. They really do. So, as we're playing throughout the season, I'm always just trying to instill that in them that that mentality of greatness. So when we broke that when we when we broke the record that's when i knew i had to tell these guys how special they were because i really wanted them to really understand that because i played for the braves the yankees cleveland great teams two world series never any of those teams won 20 games so guys what we just accomplished was special what you guys accomplished is special that's how i want you to see yourselves Because we're 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 trying to win a World Series here. That's the goal. And so I was wanting him to really see them, wanted our guys to really understand what they had accomplished. And it was just great to be a part of this team. As my my role, I loved my role. Like like I I always bring a money ball. They made it seem like they had to. Coerced me into being a leader of the team, and you can ask any of these guys. I took over the leadership role day one. I've been trying to lead my team since my second year in the big leagues. Why would I wait till my last year to try to lead a team? So uh, these guys were great. They're a great bunch of young guys. I really enjoyed that year, and I love the Bay Area too, man. I mean, this this is a great part of the country. So, and then I, I don't know if you heard me earlier. I said, you know, our youngest son, the one who's playing football at UCLA right now. He was born that last year, so that was a special year for the Justice family.
6: Yeah, I remember talking to Stephen Bishop, the guy who played you, and it was great. He was such a good guy. But uh, you know, I think about what you had to offer was, uh, I mean, you came up so early with the Braves. What, you were like 19 years no, old? No, no. How old were you? I was you were 23. Four years in the minors, yeah. Well, I just remember when you came up. I mean, you came up in the, Bra- you were in the playoffs every. It's like every year of your career, you're in the playoffs.
1: Every year of my career, I was in the playoffs except my rookie year. 1990 every year I know it's about seven World Series teams so I mean basically half of my career was spent in the in the World Series so I agree with you it was a blessed career but also man all the great guys I played with I'm not only just great baseball players just great dudes and when I retired. Somebody told me I, I retired, you, you could check this, as the fifth winningest player percentage-wise in the game. I mean, think about it. Every wow. team I played for went to the playoffs, so I'm part of those teams that won. So it was a great career. I won a lot in my career. I mean, I couldn't ask for a better career. I mean, I couldn't ask for a better one.
6: You know, when you think about the greatness that was the Atlanta Braves, and you mentioned, I mean, a lot of people forget how good those Indians teams were. Jacobs Field used to be rocking, and, of course, the New York Yankees. What was so unique and special about Oakland?
1: Well, what I liked about Oakland, Oakland was, one, the, their fans were very passionate about their team. You could tell that these fans loved the Oakland A's. So I, I, I love playing for teams and in stadiums where the fans are really 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 show their love for the, for their team and that's what i felt here um and again another this is just gonna be very silly but wearing that green and gold because it reminded me of high school because you know i you know high school was great for me and these were our colors so putting them back on reminded me so much of high school but None of that would matter if I didn't have these great guys I played with. You know, Art Howe was a great manager to play for. Our coaching staff was cool. That Bosley, Bosley, he, who's not here. I mean, he was great as our hitting coach. Great guy to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, and Billy Bean was great. I mean, Billy, Billy and I had a great relationship. We talked a lot that year about the team and 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 my thoughts. He would ask me my thoughts on the team, and and that was special as well because I mean, he trusted me as a as a as known as a player, but a guy he felt like knew the game and knew how to improve the team.
6: You know, it's a very emotional time. I was just talking with Art Howe, and he got choked up when I asked him about, you know, coming back to Oakland, because as you mentioned, the way he was portrayed, where guys were portrayed in the movie, it obviously stung. There's great love for Art Howe here and this team. I mean, it's very emotional.
1: Well yeah, Art look man, you know, Art was a great manager, man. I love coming to the yard every day and seeing art. He was always even keeled supportive. So, you know, when you see guys misportrayed, uh, you know, it just makes you it makes you upset and makes you a little mad because he don't he didn't deserve the way he was portrayed. He did not deserve it. So um but again, that 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 it is what it is and it is what it was. But that's why if I get an opportunity, I'm gonna let people know when I can that that's not the art how that led these young guys and, and led these veterans and led this team. Uh, that year. That's not the Art Howe that was in that dugout in the clubhouse on the plane. That's not the same Art Howe that was in the movie. And you talked
6: about when you got here, you realized, wow, this is kind of like when you're talking about Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, you're talking about three Hall of Famers. Yeah. You saw that as soon as you got here, you saw the making of that.
1: Oh, absolutely. I saw Mulder, Zito, Hudson. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. They, They literally. He's like the young Braves, because you got a young Tejada, a Chavez, got Mark Ellis in his rookie year. Again, these young guys that are passionate, that want to win. They want to prove themselves in the big leagues. They want to prove that they are all stars and they're all young. And I'm sitting here watching it like, man, this reminds me so much of how we were with the Braves. So they can be us. And that's literally what I was thinking. They can be us. How can I now? do what I can do, not only as a player on the field, but in the clubhouse, on the plane. What can I do to help that process of these young guys becoming what we were in Atlanta?
6: Let's end on this. Oakland has this history of bringing stars at the end of their career in, and they finish their career here. And you've, you, know, I've talked to Frank Thomas where he said this was the best year of his career uh, being here in Oakland. There's been a lot of guys dating back to the 70s. You're a part of that legacy of great players coming here to Oakland and ending your career. What does that mean to you?
1: Well, I'm glad, and I'm glad that happened because I don't think – that I could have spent my last year in a better place for what I felt like my role would be for that team. Because I had come full circle. I mean, literally had come full circle where I was a veteran player in my last year, literally looking at a team that I thought was special, that could be great. And I'm right here literally looking at it and then thinking, how can I get them to believe that they're special and they're great? So I couldn't have picked a better team to play for in my last year. I'm just glad it happened that way.
6: Well, what a, what a wonderful day for you and these guys. I know it got emotional for you, but very special.
2: Yeah, it is, it is. You know, this was a, a special group of, group of men that we, you know, we played a lot of awesome games together. And coaching staff and these fans were incredible the whole, the whole step of the way. So to be able to come back and, you know, embrace that time is, is very special for me. And I, I know all these these guys that I was in that locker room with.
6: Yeah, you can't say enough about chemistry. I mean, a lot of teams talk about it, but you guys truly had it, and it was so special.
2: You know, we, we really did, you know, and it's kind of hard to – figure out if your team has it or not it's either it either has a good mesh and a good mix of guys that contributes to it or it don't and you know, luckily you know Billy and, and, and all the guys making all those decisions put a, a group together that truly loved playing together and was really good on the field and and had a good time in the locker room and had a good time away from the field I think all that helps out with your quality of play out there on the, on the field, and I think that's a big reason why we were able to do what we did. Yeah, during our
6: event with the season ticket holders, I wanted to make sure that we mentioned Corey Lytle, uh, of what
2: he meant to this team, and just how great he was, especially during the streak. Yeah, you know, he was probably the best pitcher in baseball during that time. I mean, he went, he went out there and, and took the mound, and, I mean, honestly, I don't remember him hardly – Giving up many hard hit balls during 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 you know during that time of his starts it was four or five starts in a row where and he had been pitching well all year but during that streak especially he was you know, he stepped up and you know it's you know there's an old saying in baseball you know a starting pitcher can't win the game in the first inning but he can definitely lose the game in the first inning so there was some 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 pressure on us starting pitchers every time we took the mound to you know to you know, set that tone and to, and to let, you know, our guys know that we were going to have a chance to win. And Ford was that guy that went out there and said it every time he went out early. And, and we knew that we had a really good chance to keep that streak going.
6: Yeah. We always talk about in baseball, how lineups can get hot, rotations get hot, but your rotation, just talk about that truly how you guys fed off of each
2: other. Well, you know, I, I know that, you know, myself and Morton and Zito, you, you know, everybody thinks of, of our rotation and just thinks of us three. But man, we had, you know, with Corey Lytle and, and uh, you know, all the guys that came in and contributed that year. Uh, you know, every five days, it was, it was really special. I mean, we didn't have a, you know, a one, two, three, four, or five. I, we felt like we had a, a staff full of one twos the whole, almost the whole year. Um, everything came together. We pushed each other. There was some, some, some friendly competitiveness going on every, every time out. You know, we never, uh, you know. My goal to go out there was, was, was to try to be a little better than the guy before me, whatever whatever he did. Uh, you didn't want to be the weak link in the in, in the in the chain, and you know I think our guys just fed off of that. And, and when you do that, you're able to. You know, take some pressure off of our offense and give us a good chance to win.
6: You know, when I think about your career, you know, after you go to Atlanta then you come back, San Francisco, Bay Area means a lot to you, but where you became that guy, the big game pitcher, is here in Oakland. Just talk about this franchise, the city what it means to you.
2: Well, it's very special. You know, obviously Billy and this organization gave me an opportunity to start my career and you know, it was just something that you know, coming from Alabama out to the West Coast, i would mean, never been west of Mississippi before I, before I got drafted. And, uh, you know, just coming here to the Bay Area and just seeing, you know, the fans, how they just love this team, this organization, and how they embrace me and my family and, and this team. I mean, it was it's very special to me. Uh, it was in the prime of my career. I was young, excited to be in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, this was definitely, from a player standpoint, my best years were here. There's no doubt about it. I got traded off to Atlanta after, after uh, you know, my time here. And, you know, I think uh, the A's definitely got the best Tim Hudson for sure. And, you know, this chapter of my life was very special for me and my family. Well, I got to ask you this before we let you
6: go, because obviously you're still in the SEC world and now with texas and oklahoma coming into the sec my god usc and ucla going into the big ten rumors are about oregon and washington going into the big ten just what is it like in the college sports world and how big a business this is
2: well the landscape of college baseball is is uh it's a pretty it's changing every day it seems like and um you know the sec in particular is i mean it's the best amateur uh, baseball league in the world you know it's it's very competitive and, uh, you know, I found out the last three years with Auburn that, you know, how good it is. And, um, you know, it's a special place. It gets kids ready for the next level. And uh, especially in the SEC, I know Texas coming over, Oklahoma coming over. I mean, it's a, it was a buzz all before they came over. Now, now it's going to be even, even more so. So it's, uh, you know, you got to go out and recruit, you got to get these kids and, and get them committed to your. You know your team and, and start getting them better and because every week i mean it's it's almost double a caliber baseball every weekend when you're going into baton rouge when you're going to tennessee when you're going to mississippi state you have austin and and you know norman oklahoma to go deal with so it's going to be exciting for college baseball you know, it's looking like it's shaping up to be a couple of pretty powerhouse uh, conferences with, with uh, whatever some teams are doing on the West Coast and the teams that are coming to the SEC. So it's going to be a lot of fun if you're a college baseball fan. By
6: the way, you and Mark Kotze came up at the wrong time. I played against Kotze at Cal State Fullerton, and, I mean, he'd wear us out. What he did with the bat, then come in and close it out. You know, Shohei Otani comes along. Look at you. Who knows? You could really hit, too. Can you imagine trying to be a two-way guy?
2: You know, it's, it's, it would be tough at this level. It would be really tough. It's hard to be successful at any level, at any higher level of baseball, but especially in, in the big leagues. You know, it's just uh, it's so tough. But so see him be able to come up and do it, I think Kotsay could have done it. I think I think he was that kind of athlete. He was that kind of throwback grinder type of player. He's a dirt baller. You know, he just loved the game. And uh, I think Otani is a guy that's, you know, that as well. You got to have that mentality. You got to be wired a certain way. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, nowadays, everything gets so position-specific early in these kids' lives that there's really not an opportunity to try to be really good two-way players. Uh, and, but if you can find one, they're, they're really special. And they're a college baseball coach's dream. You know, it's like you get two 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 scholarship players in one. Yeah. Well, you'll always be in the hearts of A's fans. You'll
6: always be a fan favorite. So much. Thank you so much for the time and enjoy it with all your teammates.
2: Well, I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to be a part of this. All right, we're here with the great Art Hal. This has got to be
6: such a special moment. These are your guys. It was a wonderful team. Just what is it like to come back?
9: Uh, It's just awesome. Uh, And what you said about being an awesome team and a great team, is that's an understatement. Uh, It just seemed like the camaraderie on this team was special. Uh, These guys came to work every day and enjoyed it. Our clubhouse was alive with all kind of fun before games. But once the bell rang, the game started, they were serious as a heart attack and went out there and just grounded out. Uh, and the way we won the last three, four ball games it was so exciting, even for us on the coaching staff. You know, we just felt like sooner or later somebody was going to step up and get a big hit for us because they had done it for like over two weeks straight. And Miggy was a big part of it. You know, the last couple of wins before Hattie hit the, the home run in the final game of the 20 game stretch. But, It was just so much fun. Uh, And this ballpark was electric. I mean, they, they lifted this team up. I think that's more than anything, that's the reason we kept winning. The fans just wouldn't let us lose so i i think going into that season i mean there's a lot of pressure you
6: got a good ball club but you're losing Gian, but you're losing damon you're losing his and we talked to billy bean about that i mean there was a lot of pressure to keep this thing rolling and replace those guys
9: and you did yes we did and we are very grateful that we were able to get quality players to fill in for those guys Billy Koch came in and just had a miraculous season for us as our closer. And we didn't know what we were going to get from him when the season started, but we knew he had a great arm and we were going to give him the opportunity. And he took the, took the opportunity and did a great job. Uh, and the other players, you know, bringing Hatterberger in to play a little first base, helped us out there because nobody's going to replace Jason Giambi. I mean, he's, he was MVP. He's a great player. But uh, somehow these guys were bound and determined to let everybody know that we weren't just a two- or three-man team. It was a team.
6: I think of a guy that had to step up, and we haven't seen him back. Now, we saw him with other teams that haven't seen him back come to celebrate him. It's Miguel Tejada, and he was huge for you. He was the MVP.
9: And he deserved it. I mean, what a year he had. Uh, Just Johnny on the spot. just seemed like every time we needed that big hit late, you know, Miggy, Miggy was in heat. I mean, he was hitting balls all over the ballpark, hitting it out of the yard when we needed it, but uh, getting a big base hit if we needed that. Uh, he just showed everybody what he was made of at that time, that he was the best player in the American League at that time. You've been
6: in baseball for many years. I mean, you're a baseball man. What exactly does 2002 mean to you in your career?
9: Well, it's, it's way, way up there, let's face it. Uh, More than anything, I know that streak was an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, it it is really amazing that we were able to do that. But it's the the relationships that I was able to develop, not only with my coaching staff, but with the players. Uh, We were a close-knit group, and uh, they were like my sons, actually, you know, playing for me. And I tried to give them all an opportunity, and they all stepped up and made me look good.
6: Well, what do you think it's uh, going to mean to you we're a little time away when you get that huge ovation? Because you will always be an Oakland A's fan favorite.
9: Uh, well, just talking to you about it, I just hope I can keep my composure because this means everything to me.
6: I hope you know that. I mean, there, there, there is such a fondness for you and this group. You, I didn't want to say it when we were doing the season ticket holder thing, but you guys really helped save baseball in Oakland.
9: Well, I'm glad we could do that, and as I mentioned, it was my last year here. I wish I had been able to stay longer because my wife and I—we have talked about my my best stays as far as a manager, and we both agree that Oakland it was the best for me and uh, and my family. We we love the people here; they treated us really, really well. And but you know, you have to move on and. Uh, You know, I I wish them the best because they got in the playoffs the very next year. Ken Maka took over my reins when I left, and he did a great job and just came up a little short. It just seemed like there's always one crazy play that kept the A's from getting to the World Series. But uh, someday it'll happen again.
6: Enjoy the moment. You deserve every minute of it. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Well this is special and we've been talking about it because you're truly one of the great Oakland athletics of all time. You've been back as a former player with another team, but now you're back as an A again. What does that mean to you?
10: Well when they when they came here with another team I always got in my mind that I'm a player, you know. Uh, Oakland is the team that gave me the opportunity to sign me in the Dominican and came back here and and give me the opportunity to play in the manually and then Came to the Billy and played for for so long for them. It's a, it's a special. I, everywhere that I go, I just think I'm have eight players.
6: You know, I first saw you in Modesto. You're 20 years old with the Modesto A's and they're like, hey, this Tejada kid is something special. And I just think about this season. Jason Giambi had left. They needed a new hero. They needed that new guy. You became that guy. Not only did you become that guy, you became the American League MVP. What did this season mean for you personally?
10: This season has been a lot. And uh, the good thing for for me is special. After Jason and all those guys lead just because they prepare, you know, they prepare off. Uh, Jason is is, is really helps us up I'll be at the player that I am. That's why why when they he left, we, we 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 take up and do what we do. And uh, I mean, that's special. That's a that's a, that's a great season. I learned a lot from them, and that's why I put in part in the game in the 2002.
6: And you had so many big hits during that hitting streak down the stretch. I mean. You came up in the biggest moments when your team needed you.
10: Yeah, you know that's, that's what I say. I always say that I prepare for the game, I prepare for the big moment. I like big moment, and I know and I know that year that, that I was really a special uh, part of this team, and that's why every day I came to the field, prepare 100 percent, and try to be good. That's why every time I got the opportunity, I'm come through. What do you think it's
6: going to be like when your name gets called and you get that big ovation? Because this fan base loves you.
10: I, I love the fans. I know they're gonna be big. I love the fans. I already, I already walked through the, through the city. And uh, it's, 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 yesterday I was in Modesto, too, I visiting friend, old friend. And I know I saw the people have people got friends, happy to see me. And I, I know, I know today I'm gonna be exciting to see everybody just cheering for me. By the way, the uniform looks great.
6: What was that like to put this uniform back on?
10: It's always a pleasure, always a pleasure. Every time I put that uniform, I feel like I want to play it again. And, uh, you know, like I say, everything from Oakland A for me is, 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 is a pleasure. Well, thank
6: you so much. It's so great to have you back. And don't be a stranger. This, this fan base absolutely
8: loves you.
10: Thank you. Thank you. And I love the fun here, too. This has been a presentation
8: of the Oakland Athletics.